Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. It's a couple of minutes after 8 o'clock, actually nearly three minutes uh, past 8 o'clock here in the UK. John Hindoff and the rest of the team uh, with you for Midweek Motorsport Series 13, uh, episode number 36. Extraordinarily, we've been around for 13 seasons here on this show. Uh, good to have you company up in London. Tim Gray is back in Blighty. Evening, Tim. Good evening, John. No guessing where's Tim this week. No, no. Uh, and on a packed programme tonight? Uh, we have all the usual features. We'll be having some news. We'll have some guests. Uh, we'll have pointless press release of the week. Um, that's pretty much it. Still Excellent. All good stuff. All good stuff. Uh, shall I do some housekeeping first? Do. Um... Start up with David Faulkner. Good evening to you listening in tonight. Bully, uh, he was very excited four hours ago. He peaked a bit early today. James Atkinson, an hour ago, was running all the way to get back home. Uh, AFA this week from Gouff Lamont, who is, um, in his words, stuck, in inverted commas, in a bar in Apollonia in the island of Sifnos in the Aegean. Uh, Mark Atkins is eating beef teriyaki tonight, made by the best cook in Heidelberg. Edward Bur- is that you, Mark? Come on, own up to it. Edward Burrisford is tuned in tonight and liking the mem- menu here, as is John McCarthy and James as well. Uh, Adrian Michael Reese, here, Mark, how are you? Good to know uh, that you are stealthily listening in tonight because he's on an evening ship. Rob Jenner is listening live tonight on the drive home from work and Chris Suku says no uh, apologies for absence this evening I got stuck in a good challenge at work and now I'm finally going home I'm listening in on the landy on the way back to Royal Leamington Spa in his heritage Land Rover of which I'm very envious Uh, right turn lover says uh, nibbling an apple uh, but I'll be finished by the time you start Alexander Orkman doing a university run to Birmingham with Phoebe evening the Orkins He's looking forward to the podcast, so um, hello, whatever time it is. Um, <laughs> the, the menu tonight was rather splen- splendid. Uh, Miss Jackson, the apple crumble, apple and raspberry crumble would be lovely for breakfast. Can we bro- post her some? Not sure it would travel, to be honest. And Chris Humphreys, after a long, weird and busy day at work... Certainly wouldn't travel to where she is because no. you're not allowed to take food into Australia. You're not allowed to take anything into Australia, are you? Barely allowed to take yourself in. Uh, he's relaxing. Chris Humphrey's relaxing with us. Chris, one of our Marshalling community, tuned in tonight. And John Mayer uh, says, no apologies for me this week. 
looking forward to a packed weekend of racing, including double dip from RSL Studio. Yes, it's VLN7, uh, which is on Saturday, the ADAC Reinaldus Langstreckenrengen. Easy for me to say. I don't uh, think it was easy. No, no, trust me. Uh, and we'll also have the ELMS meeting from Spa as well. Uh, and that will be including the Michelin Cup. And finally, Moni. Hello, Moni. Uh, Moni Alessium, who is in tuned in from her cube. Um, you got some... Do you have a top story tonight? Of course I do. Shall I play the jingle? Play the jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And for our top story tonight, we need... Nick Damon, who is here? We've hardly seen each other over hang the last... Hang on, hang on. All right, go on. As Robert Parker once sang, you haven't asked me to shuffle my papers. I did. Say, did I not say that? No, you didn't. Shuffle your papers. What's the top story? As Robert Parker once sang, let's go where the action is. And at the weekend, the action was all in one place. That place was Turkey for the 10th round of the World Rally Championship. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm. I'm sorry, but what? I'm not having that. I'm not hooraying, like rallying. Hang on a you second. Just did. Hang on. Did you say that was that was World Rally in Turkey this weekend? That's exactly what I said. And 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 we've got Nick here to talk about WRC. <laughs> Magnificent. You I, should see I'm his face now. Pretty oh. sure. Uh, hang on, Mishkondorena. That's who you go to when you've been defamed, isn't it, dear Mish? I believe that the people at me have... Yeah, yeah, carry on. <laughs> Patience played dividends for Oet Tanak as he claimed a Oit. third consecutive WRC victory in Turkey <laughs> on Sunday afternoon to further boost his chances of winning the FIA World Rally Championship. Mm-hmm. He quickly realised he didn't have the speed to match his rivals. Or the name. He's not called Sebastian. And settled for a more cautious pace in the searing heat on rocky gravel roads near Marmaris. The Estonian was rewarded, though, when the when driver after driver fell by the wayside in the gruelling conditions. Climbing from ninth midway through Friday's opening leg, Tanak rose to the top and headed home a Toyota Yaris 1-2 by 22.3 seconds from Yari Matty Latvala. Yep, Thanks to his good. results, Tanak is the first driver to win three consecutive rounds since defending world champion Sebastian Ogier. Uh, claimed four in a row en route to the 2016 title. Mm. Actually, in fairness, they put on a pretty good rally in Turkey. They Thierry really Neuville wouldn't say that. No, oh, Thierry Neuville wouldn't say that. Um, he um, d- Did he actually get to the end? He didn't get to the end? No. Mm. Uh, and nor did Sebastian Ogier. No. Very, very disappointing for those two guys. I, I, I thought it was well put together. Um, I watched a bit of it over the weekend. Um as I wasn't working, and um, I, I actually quite enjoyed There was an awful lot of motorsport on for me to watch at the weekend, most of it on tow wheels, but not all of it. Um, and I I, I, th- I thought it was a good addition to the WRC. It looked like a proper WRC rally, and considering that was its first event, uh, first running, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, second was Yoey Matty Latvala's best result of the year, mm-hmm. and Hayden Padden. Claimed a similar season's best third in his Hyundai. Yeah. Uh, the New Zealanders finished uh, a minute 46.3 uh, in arrears. Yeah. Uh, fourth was Timo Suninen, 
in the Ford Fiesta, four minutes off the winning pace, uh, while Andreas Mickelson recovered from a broken right front drive shaft on Saturday to finish fifth in the second of the Hyundais. Mm. So that means that uh, Thierry Nerville still leads the point, but with a much reduced margin of 13 points from Tanak. Sebastian Ogier is third. Uh, Esapeka Lappi is fourth. My favourite driver, Esapeka Lappi. Yari Mati Ladvala is fifth. Andreas Mikkelsen sixth. Danny Sordo seventh. Timo Sunen in eighth. Elvin Evans ninth. And Hayden Padden tenth. Three rallies remaining. Uh, they are off to Spain, they're off to Australia, and next they are off to Wales. Um, there was a really good story in WRC3 um, about Louise Cook, who just got her um, sponsorship together at the very last minute and drove across Europe to get the car in the rally. And I think finished... Oh, managed to close something I didn't want to there. Um, I managed to get the car across and, and get going again. And well done to her uh, for that. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, listening to Midweek Motorsport, uh, Series 13, Episode 36. Good evening to Sarah Rigby. Tuned in live. Looking forward to a packed show tonight. Uh, it is the British GT final at Donington Park this weekend. We'll be having a little word about that, of course. Lots of sport coming up this weekend. Uh, guests on the show tonight in the second hour uh, have an American theme to them. Uh, Declan Brennan, fingers crossed, because he's uh, just had a bit of a power spike that's taken out his uh, his router, or router, as he will be talking to his internet provider about. Uh, Jeremy Shaw will be joining us for all things IndyCar as well, and there is some breaking IndyCar news, uh, as well as a look back on the Sonoma finale of the 2018 Verizon IndyCar Championship. So that's all to look forward to in the second hour of the show tonight. But Tim Gray is going to take us where next, Tim? Well, working in motorsport, as we do, yes. in fact, working any sport, means you get to work a lot of weekends. Most weekends. Most weekends. Mm. And because of that, you sometimes don't always get to watch everything with your full concentration. Because you're watching it on tape later on or because you're doing something else Or because you're doing something time. else and it's on in the corner of your yeah. peripheral vision. Correct. Profitler Hence this... Uh, oh, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Hence this conversation I had with a friend on Sunday. Yeah. Tim, was that Perez or Ocon? Uh, it was both, but Ocon's the one with the damage. Yes. Ooh, has Lewis lost the lead or is that Red Bull just not pitted yet? The Red Bull hasn't pitted yet. See, there, he's going to the pits now. Did I miss the end? Yes. Was it close? <laughs> no, no, nine seconds. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. If this doesn't start, if this in Ferrari that starts with, it was a bit boring, I'll be very disappointed. The Singapore race ran true to form in that in the Monaco of the East, anything can happen, but usually nothing does. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this from? Ferrari. Yes, brilliant. Sebastian brilliant. made it to the podium in third spot and Kimi was fifth, meaning Scuderia Ferrari finished where it started. It was a shame because the start had let us hope for better, but Seb had to deal with traffic, which partly compromised what was an aggressive strategy. The top ten were all on hypersofts. At the start, Seb attacked Verstappen right with him after the first corner and then getting past at the gentle curve of turn six just before the yellow lights came on because Ocon was in the wall. Kimi, meanwhile, had maintained his fifth place off the grid. Can we stop now? Really? Nick Damon is with us. How much did you see of the Grand Prix at the weekend? Every single 
minute, but in a very odd place. Mm. I, th- I, I think. Were you dockside? Where did where's Nick watching the t- the uh, the Grand Prix on tape delay? You'd have a job working out where it was. Right. But actually, because this would be a long and very dull. I was actually um, I was for the first time ever. I was refused refused early entry to Eurostar. Can you believe it? Euro Tunnel. And I came. I arrived four hours early from my uh, rather successful RC weekend. Uh, not uh, broadcasting, not racing. It's not successful. I'm racing. Um, and uh, I was there four hours early. No, no, you can't. You can't come in more than two hours early. So I had two hours to kill. And luckily, on my on my uh, catch-up device, um, they had the rerun of the race on. So I just sat in the car watching that, and I saw every single minute of it. I must admit, if I'd been watching it on the telly, there would have been some fast-forwarding. I, I did well. I stayed awake for the whole race. I, yeah, it's not the state of And given that it was Eve's birthday and mm. we started drinking champagne at mm. about half past 11 in the morning because my late father had left us a very nice magnum of 2006 vintage Can't argue that. champagne, um, the year of our marriage, I thought that was pretty good. I, you know, this Can not... I just say, mm. by the way, can we now finally mm. slay the rumour, the undertaking that um, Mercedes and Singapore don't together. Can we have the Singapore sling and silver arrows outrageous of desire, arrows. Yes. <laughs> of, of, yeah. of outrageous fortune? Yeah. Yes, because they've won now four out of the last five years on this worst track of, of ever in the history of ever for them. Wait, well, that all comes from two races, well, three races ago, two years ago, when they had a complete nightmare when they were dominating. And then last year they had a, a, a not particularly good time either, and then uh, but won it because of the front three cars were crashing this time. They're great. I mean, I think the thing about Singapore is Singapore is visually the most impressive race of the season. It's not when it's daylight though. I watched some of the early. Oh, FP1 pointless. Awful. Pointless. Awful. No, then it, then it looks, like Valencia. looks worse than Valencia. Exactly. We know how good that was. <laughs> it looks worse than Valencia. It's just like going down the docks, isn't it? Really. Um, it's not that good. <laughs> once it's dark, no, but the, but it's it's spectacular. But then you know the the what tends to happen more often in um, Singapore than happens in Monaco is people have accidents because they're going a little bit quicker everywhere. But what happens about the same amount as as in uh, Monaco is overtaking. Yeah, there is a the sort of chance. Uh, as Fettel showed at the start, but therefore everything becomes more important about Saturday. So you look at what's happening on Saturday, and on Saturday, much as the mythical Senna lap of 1980, wherever it was, we had, I think, a mythic bit of qualifying. I, said, I, I saw that live. I was I was watching. My that, goodness. I, I was watching it as live, and this is the this is the um, Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Lap, and you know he, 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 he just scraped through. Uh, the first section on the, on the wrong tyres. It still looked pretty good. Everyone was saying that Ferrari were there. And when he put in the 136, whatever it was, I, I, I used a word I couldn't use on this show, followed by me, where did that come from? Mm. Uh, as I think everybody else did. Um, and, you know, it, it's a transcendent skill. And, and when someone like Lewis hits top form, as he has done over the last, you know, three or four races. You know, it's, it's he is about, the second half of the season guy, isn't he? he well, I saw a stat... Uh, yesterday or the day before on a news channel funny enough um, that was looking at the relative performance of Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton after the breaks Hmm. before the breaks in the last couple of seasons they're about the same I think it's nine and eight victories but after the break it's now I think seven to two to Hamilton Hmm. after the break and and by the way we're only three races into yeah I mean I think I think 
certainly, you know, as coming into the break, and you know, and even in the first race after in uh, Belgium, you know, the, the, the Mercedes was, was lacking. It was it was down to the Ferrari, and they've kind of clawed the whole thing back. I think they've still got a little bit of a disadvantage in in qualifying, but Lewis is good enough. It appears to to negate that or cop up with Ferrari making mistakes in the race. I think they've got a car that's as good, not slightly quicker. The thing is, is that what's happened is that... See, I still that don't Lewis buy that. Has, has actually, I still think the Mercedes is the best package. I don't think it's the best package. I just think it's... I, don't, I, don't, I think we've got a weird situation where we've got two equal cars. Uh, and the ebb and Equal in different ways. But what's happening is the ebb and flow from track to track is being slightly... is being bent in Mercedes' favour by their driver. Beginning of the season, Valtteri Bottas and uh, Lewis were neck and neck. In fact, in many ways, Valtteri was getting slightly better up until certainly back and, and beyond. And, and Lewis is now half a second, three quarter seconds faster than him. And they haven't changed the car so it doesn't suit Valtteri. Just suddenly, that extra gear... He did the most of the off-season practice and, well, and that, uh, testing. There's no off-season. They split it equally in January and February. They do a day on, day right. off, day off. But I think it's, it's notable that suddenly you get this kind of ability to kind of just buckle down it's what all the great champions have is ability just to find something else you know be it you know be it Prost be it uh, Michael Schumacher be it Etten Senna be it you know the, the guys who are able just to say focus it down and at the moment you know it's it's a purple patch it's not all loss for Ferrari but they've got to find they've got to bring the they team look back downhearted they, they look downhearted after the qualifying Sebastian interviewed after the qualifying, yeah, well, I'm all the way back here. It's going to be difficult to get result. All the way back in third, by the way. The, he was a beaten man already. Well, His head's gone. It's gone. The, well, I think he's, the thing is, and where you look at it, and, and possibly when we look back on this, the pivotal change, the pivotal change of this season is not going to be anything that anyone's done. It's the unfortunate passing of Sergio Macchione. You think? I think he had more of an influence than we thought he did. He was more well, even on the Formula One tip. Yeah, holding it together, overarching it. You know, because there is a there is a tendency to you know, let's not run the stereotypes, but there is a tendency for the Scuderia to get themselves wrapped up in themselves in fighting and indecision and everything else. Well they're... there's this whole debate, isn't there, about whether Sebastian is trying to run tactics and strategy from inside the car and that's taking and it's not Schumacher. He's not that good. He hasn't I got the a, mental capacity yes, to it, do that. No, but the point about it is, with Schumacher, Schumacher was trying, was wasn't, was was just assisting um, Jean Tot and Ross Braun and Rory Byrne. I don't think that you need to. You, you, I don't think that if Ross if Ross Braun and Rory Byrne and Jean Tot were there, that, that Vettel would, would be bothering one way or the other to but, do anything else. But my point is, whether he is or he isn't, there's a perception of this doing that. It's taking brain power away from Sebastian, and he's got to be cheesing people off in the garage because he's second guessing them all the time and that's you not how do. you that's you not how can, you mold the team you right you. now you can do anything you like if you win well it's a good point the some drivers who have been the most obnoxious little sobs mm-hmm. have have a team behind them yeah because they're, they're winning yeah fettle has between the team and himself the fact is that with a i know ifs and buts but he's 40 points behind. He threw 32 behind. He threw 32 away in Germany. Yeah. So that's one incident. If he hadn't fallen off the road there, he'd be eight behind. I know ifs and buts, but it, there is a fact is that the, that the 
if you actually look at what's happened, is the criticism we gave to Mercedes at the start of the season of being not particularly um, agile in uh, has and spun round. Yeah. In the effect of what's happened, is I don't think the Mercedes are massively more tactical savvy than they were. I just think that Ferrari now are outthinking themselves. Right. They're playing catch up second guess. Yep. And they're second guessing themselves rather than Mercedes. Uh, Red Bull did rather better. I mean, why anybody thought that an Adrian Newey design car wouldn't be good around a straight circuit? Because it's got more downforce than a barn door tilted at 93. Probably 37% of the track. So that compared to, I think, like 68 or something at Monza. So, you know, that's that's not really surprising. I mean, which takes us on. Verstappen drove very, very well. I thought, do you know what? Now, I have been critical of Verstappen well, in the back. I thought he showed some maturity I at think, the weekend. I think that Verstappen had a terrible start of the season. Everyone said... Oh, I thought he was. I thought, I he thought said, his head was gone, and I thought he was going to struggle. You need to go away and think about it. He said, I'm not changing anything. I think he did. I think he's changed a lot. He's had a thing. And, and this is the point. You know, I know he's in his, season, his fourth season or fifth season, but he is still he's not, a kid not 21. But you, whilst you have experience of a number of races, there's another experience called life experience, and there's another ability to control yet. your. No, he's not 21. He's 20. He's not 21. He's just turned 20. Oh, was he tw- no, he's just turned 21 this week. He's just turned 20 because because he now he, he this was the last race that he could win a race as a teenager. I'm just looking. That uh, sorry, could get um get pole position as a teenager. Uh, he is 21 this week. Oh, he was 20. Thirtieth uh, of September, he becomes twenty-one. Right. Okay. Since the last race, he was twenty. Right. Okay. I I apologise for that. That was incorrect information that I heard on the telly. Then. Well, yeah. Um, uh, Force India point break. Broken India. Perez should have been parked. Was what that he, was that any worse than was what? No worse or no better or no different from what Fettel did. I agree. Um, in fact, actually, cause it, you could argue... Cause Did he do it twice? S- Did he put his teammate in the wall at nah. the start? Did he turn right or was he catching a slide? <sighs> we'll never know, will we? If we haven't got the telemetry. There is a bit of previous there, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Um, don't know. I don't... I, I like to think no. <laughs> but, uh, the he got did, annoyed with Sirotkin, though. Did, and Sirotkin was doing nothing wrong. What he did to Sirotkin, when he ran him into the wall, effectively, or tried to run him into the wall, in, in what was a fit of peak, straight from, from you know... Bus. Arrive and drive karting. Exactly. Arrive and drive. Bus stop karting, as I like to call mm-hmm. it, in, in old bus garages. It, it, they, gave, they gave him a stop a stop and go, but they sh- he should have been parked. I mean, you know, the, I, I said the 10-second stop and go um, was um, uh, unnecessarily leaning on, on Fettel, and I think he should, I think he definitely think he should have been parked. And I think, uh, you know, that sort of race, he, sh- you know, he did, did two things he shouldn't have done, and I kind of think that effectively he should, he should have been, um, you know, he should be staring down the gun of an FIA uh, investigation for that. Don't disagree. Uh, don't disagree. Alonso was mega again. TM. Yeah. No, what happened? Alonso did very well. Alonso qualified 11th, and he was clear enough to row that to realise that was the best place to qualify. Uh, because what he could do um, is uh, then choose tyres. So he managed to have a much more open strategy. Because those super soft uh, chewing gum tyres, whilst they were fantastic for setting hyper-fast laps four seconds faster than they were originally 10 years ago, they, they weren't really, you couldn't race them, which is why they were trolling around, what, 12 seconds a lap slower. Um so it was a yeah it was an interesting situation. I think I think that um, Alonso did, did a good job, you know, um, as you kind of expect. He's got a snap and he came seventh best of the rest. Ricardo, you know, all the number twos didn't cover themselves with glory. Sebastian Vettel didn't. I don't think Vettel had a bad weekend. He just nothing came. It just didn't come together for him. And I think they also the, the reason it was a bad weekend 
was because they were expecting to gain a few points on Lewis, and they lost 10. That was really bad. It wasn't, you know, Fettel wasn't responsible for the, for the choice of when to come in. And, you know, that was the team. The team put him out slightly behind Perez. Not that he had the pace anyway. And then they just, they just lost and came out behind Verstappen. But they, Verstappen probably would have got him because at the end he was really having to drop back by, what, 35 seconds to nurse those tyres. So... Uh, let's stop talking about Singapore now. That's enough of that. But there is some more Formula One news. I bet there's some new Formula One news. Is there not, Tim? What should Formula One's top priority be? Uh, Making it more exciting. More fans. According to Cyril Labitiboul. Cyril Labitiboul. Letting us win more. Stopping Mercedes being better than all of us. No, although that uh, might be a consequence of this. Changing the jobs. engine rates. Stopping, stopping drivers being signed to other teams, not having B teams. Um, being cruel to... to, to Calling Renault. it Formula Renault. Yeah. No? What is it? It could be anything. Cost capping. Let's uh, yeah. not even go there. Why? There's no such they thing. They can't do it anyway. Cost capping hasn't worked. It. They'll find really a way around it. hasn't worked in any formula. They'll find a way around it. And it'll end up being rather you know than what? us having investigations as to whether a, a barge board is illegal. We don't. We investigations whether a, you know, an investment in another third-party tech company is illegal. Declan Brennan. A few years ago, when we were talking about the new, then new LMP2 regulations, Shocker said, "How about that? There's a set of regulations that are cost-cutting that's actually cut costs. I'm not sure it has long-term, but it might have done... Uh, sorry, short-term, but it might have done long-term. But honestly, it's never worked. Unless you've got a spec series, it's never worked. Just and even then, it doesn't work. Excellent. It's excellent news for a selection of accountants who can audit these people, but there's so many elements you can hide it in. Hospitality. Driver wages. Marketing. None of those are included. Uh, equally important for him is uh, the raison d'etre of Formula One. Racing. Winning. Does it, uh, is it about technology? Road no. relevance? No. no. Drivers? Aerodynamics? Yes. Engines? No. Hybrid? Yes. No. No. Here you go. What is uh, Formula One going to uh, do to generate more interest? Betting. Betting. Yay. You're actually quoting a puff, a sponsored puss piece from a well-known site who really shouldn't, uh, should completely beneath them to do. It's all about there's gaming. Been bet- there's been betting before anyway. You'd be able to bet on Formula One since time immemorial. Yeah, but in 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 race betting, and they're going to anyway. promote it. They're going to promote it though. Well, on the show, mm-hmm. how are they going to do that with a world feed that goes to countries well, that don't allow? Well, and there's it? Uh, there's the issue. It's the same as promoting. On? It's the same as promoting driver of the day. How do you think? They currently give some countries readings in kilometres an hour and some countries readings in miles an hour. So why haven't we got the miles an hour ones? Because uh, apparently they want us to be metric. So who gets miles an hour? America. That's USA. ridiculous because we, we, we use miles an hour. What, uh, what do they get in Japan? Well, Japanese script, I assume. Yes. So they can do different things in different countries. I think this is very dangerous. Um, I I'm really do. Now. I didn't realise that we could have had miles an hour. I, 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 why on earth they you are indignant about that? Why aren't they you? We don't use miles an hour. So why on earth they giving us kilometres now? I think I read a very interesting piece in a national British newspaper yesterday. Actually, I read it this morning, but it was yesterday's paper um, about the growth and growth of um, betting. 
And this is a guy who runs a major um, uh, betting concern for one of the channels in the UK. And he was talking particularly about soccer, football. And the problem, there's a huge, huge problem in Asia because betting, a lot of places in Asia, betting is actually illegal. So in order to advertise the betting that goes on over there, they take sponsorship. So it's, I think it's nine now. So that's more than, or getting on for half of the British Premiership have got Asian betting or betting um, uh, sites or companies on their shirts or the main shirt sponsors. And he was saying that you can't, that you have to regulate it. And if you don't regulate it, we are digging a hole for ourselves. And I think he's absolutely right. Look at the scandals that we've had in other sports. Look at cricket. Cricket, for goodness sake. Um, Unregulated betting, huge amounts of money on in-play markets being bet from unregulated areas areas of the world that have unregulated betting, people doing it on the internet and basically making a mockery of the sport Mm -hmm. and that is not what we want in motorsport, it's certainly not what we want in Formula 1, this is a misstep from Liberty and I hope they see it and they decide that it's not the right thing to do Really? That doesn't make good video mate I agree with you. I think Do you not like a flutter once in a while? No, no, no it's really? fine. Okay. I, I haven't, I haven't. The last thing I gambled in was telling him to win the, uh, I think, the League One title. Mm. And and obviously we. Didn't and in which decade was that? It wasn't this decade. No, <laughs> no. They've not had a good run, telling him. In fairness, shall we move well. on? Will they get relegated this year? It's looking worryingly so. They did last year though, and the year before. No, we didn't. We stayed in the same division. Chillingham, not Sunderland. It looks. Like you might do, though. It's not good with this Moving not on. Oh, by the way, uh, just to prove we're live at half past eight, do we have some football scores? Uh, no, and uh, there seems to be something odd happening in the cricket um, as well. Well, I'll give you uh, some. Would you like some? 177 for eight. Oh, really? Um, after 38 overs, but they don't seem to have started. Oh, it's raining. That's why oh, they haven't right. started the second second inning. Can okay. I give you some football scores then? No, we don't need to prove we're live now. I can tell people that it's uh, it's raining in Bridgetown. Nil-nil. Uh, moving on. And nil-one, by the way. Moving <laughs> on. Uh, to the next Formula One race, and that's in Russia. It is. When was the last love. time a, Formula, uh, a Grand Prix was held in Russia that was not won by Mercedes? Oh, no clue. Um, I don't know the answer to that question. 1905. Right. Okay, because Valtteri Bottas won last year because it was round four. It went much earlier in the season, so mm. it'll be interesting to see what. Uh, and remember that they had a, they had real problems. Lewis had real problems with the car in that one. Uh, all those all those years ago. And who won in 1905? Mercedes did. That wasn't the. You said 1905 was the last time they hadn't won it. Uh, sorry, yes, you're right. 1906 was the Mercedes win. Uh, I shall have to look that up. Okay. Um, and what else is happening this weekend? And we've already talked about... Um, Russia's two weeks away. Force India. Sorry, two weeks away. We already talked about Force India. Mm. Um, what's happening at Force India? Well, we don't know. Lance is going to nip in that point. No, that's not. I think they're all going to steer put till the end of it the... It does look like they get that whole thing. Got it looks like it's a bit too complicated, doesn't it? But Perez won't be driving in FP1. Is that because he's in trouble? Oh, no, know. it's because Nicholas Latifi's got lots of money. 
Or so, Nicholas nice. Atibi's father has lots of money. Yeah. Well, you know, let's, just, let's be honest, that's never, that's never happened before. So, <laughs> so I'm going to buy buy their way in? Oh, God, no. Mm. True enough. Did Russia exist in 1905? Well, you see, that's a Russia good point. Russia did, yes. It became the USSR but after the revolution in 1917. Yes. So... There was a period, obviously, when there wasn't an awful lot of Grand Prix behind the Iron Curtain, apart from the Hungarian Grand Prix. Moving on. Uh, I can only find the first Russian Grand Prix in 1913, in fairness, but hey. Who won that? That was won by uh, Georgi Suverin in the Mercedes-Benz. Yes. Moving on. Uh, So the Russian Grand Prix is next. Yes. Uh, what's going to happen there? Mercedes are going to win. Oof. Lewis is going to win. I don't know. But, you know. You'd say that say by form it would happen, but you can't tell. This is another race, another day. Um, I my expectation is that 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 um, uh, Ferrari are going to make a terrible error um, and be massively lambasted for it by somebody because that appears to be the theme of the year so far. Um, and I I, feel, I'd say um, Phil says. Let's be honest. Lewis has been simply brilliant this yeah. year. It's it's hard to ag- uh, listen. I said right at the beginning Slow of the start. season, he was great in Australia. A couple of off races, and then since then he's been, uh, he's been out, uh, outperforming everybody. Let's move on from Formula One now. Yes, let's move on to two wheels. Hey! Oh no! Right? Have you not got the uh, the, the, the two wheel jingle? And uh, no, I never recorded that. Okay. All right. Uh, We've got some British superbikes coming up shortly, haven't we? Portimao. Yeah, we're going to talk about Portimao for world, the world superbikes first. Yeah, well, for looking around, yeah. Um, because uh, last week, the uh, man in charge of world superbikes said uh, Jonathan Ray had no personality. Yes, well done, Gorgo Lavilia. Even though he was the runner-up in the BBC Sports Personality of the Year award. Mm-hmm. And he's about, what, 15 points for winning the championship again for a fourth time? Um so, how did uh, Jonathan Ray react to being told he had no personality? He put a tweet of himself on, pointing out he's got a lovely smile. I can barely hear Nick now. He's getting he, so quiet. He put on a, he put, he put on a, he put a tweet saying That's he because he's smile. totally quieter. He had a lovely smile. Yes, he did. I can't turn him up anymore, uh, Tim, so that's down to his voice. He's not projecting. I will them. project from now, loves. Oh, that's much better, love. Fabulous, darling. Darling, Johnny Ray, lovely Johnny. Good, lovely, old, good old Johnny good Ray. Good old Johnny. Uh, he basically Johnny. said, I'm sorry, Gregorio, you're wrong because I've got a beautiful smile and I'm going to post it on Twitter. Mm. And he has. And he's done a brilliant job and he's 116 points ahead uh, with six rounds going, a maximum 150 points. So he needs, uh, if he wins the next one, he has won. Uh, so what happened in the races? He won. Both of them for well, six on obviously. the spin. Uh, six on the spin now. And uh, th- th- don't forget that all the um, all the second races he started from ninth on the grid. So, and I've now I haven't seen every race this season. But every every race two I've seen that within a lap and a half he's at worst second. He's extraordinary early on called tyres. He's just uh, this is the thing. He's just really 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 good in a, on a really 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 good bike. Um, the, the, there is the Johnny Rear effect though. In fairness, because you look at his teammates and he's completely demoralised oh, them. Yeah, poor old Tom. Well, Tom's actually, he's off at the end of the year, but he has completely just played with his head. Um, and he's obviously, he played with Liam Hasman's head next year. So, uh, 
It'll be interesting. But no, I think I think you can't have a go at Johnny Ray for being successful. That's that's not how it works. You can't say, oh no, Johnny's, he's, he, you know, he's not out there to be doing you know stunts on YouTube. He's out there to win races. Um, I'm hoping that our hang um, on, we're not moving on to British yet. No, no, I just want to check to see if she's there. Curry, are you there? I am here. Oh, yes. good. I just want to listening wanted... with intent. Good. Oh, intent. Intent to do what? <laughs> intent to talk about British superbikes, but well, no, not for that... another four minutes yet. Oh, right. Okay. Stay with oh. us. Build up the tension. We've got Ke- we've got Case Cobb on the uh, on the line, and you know, she'll be talking about uh, British superbikes in a moment. What was unusual about the World Superbike races beyond uh, the wins for Jonathan Ray? Well, that know. wasn't unusual. That I, was absolutely you know standard exactly. operation. That's why I said beyond. I don't know the answer to that because I only saw the brief highlights. So tell what me. Was I was there was not another British dra- rider on oh, the podium. Good, good call. Great. Oh, because Chaz Davis broke his collarbone, didn't he? Mm. He finished fourth in race one. Which is yes, he broke his collarbone twice. He broke his collarbone, got it fixed, and then broke, broke it, it whilst it was it was stuffing it. And, and, and you've got bad shoulder. No, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. Okay. Yeah. But what he got was pretty impressive, given the fact he was effectively driving with one arm. Yes, he was extraordinary. If you think about it, when you're breaking Held on to the last... If you're breaking on a motorcycle, you're last. effectively using that part of your oh, frame don't. to hold yourself up. Yeah, so no. Uh, yes, so it was just... so. And Tom Sykes, we said he would normally get some points to be on a terrible fade recently. Mm. Um, so... Can we, talk, can we talk very quickly about... Um, the Super Sport 300 World Championship. Yes, because that's all over now. No, it's not. It isn't. It goes to the final round. It could have been all over at the weekend, but Anna Carrasco from the DS Junior team couldn't um, do enough to win the championship. Um, it was a manufacturer's title that was wrapped uh, up. Right, yes. okay. But Anna Carrasco is on the verge of being the first female rider to win an FIM World Championship. She goes into the last round, leading the standing, 16 points of an advantage over Luca Grunwald, and she had a nightmare at the start, was very conservative, um, and got into the top 10, I think, at the end. Extraordinary. Um, She did get the fastest lap of the race, mind you, so she still clearly had a decent bike. Um, so Magnico, it'll all come down to that. Four riders still in the shout. Uh, in yeah, with the shout she's got for a that. lead of ten points, which is a first to a fourth, isn't it? Oh yeah, so she had sixteen when she got there. Yes, she's yeah. ten points ahead. Um, but obviously there is twenty-five points for a win. So theoretically, either Scott Derue, Mika Perez, or Luca Grunveld could still theoretically make it. Though in fairness, it's probably between the top two because there's an eighteen-point gap for Perez. Mm. He needs them both to fall off, really. Uh, I, I Manufacturer's did... title has gone to Kawasaki. In what? World Super Sport 300. All right, okay. And I presume Kawasaki have already cleaned up the World Superbike manufacturer's title. Uh, I would think so. I'm not sure how the second score, but it's the first second bike score. Can can we have a quick word about um, the the circuit at Algarve? I love the circuit at Algarve. There's nobody there. There was nobody there. that is very, very true. And The circuit um, itself looks fabulous. It's been patched up a little bit. It needs a bit of TLC. But the infrastructure is falling apart. It's I'll tell awful. That there were people there mm-hmm. um, because uh, there were lots of travelling fans from Northern Ireland who took the opportunity there to were. go there. But I think even then we're looking at what two thousand, three thousand in total on a track that was really. Built. If there was three thousand in oh no, you can spread three thousand very thinly around Portman because it's no, not you can't because most of the the. Um, 
the grandstands aren't open because they've been condemned because they've got trees and stuff growing through them. That is always an issue, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I don't know how many there were. Standing fans are very difficult to see from television, though. Right. Well, okay. it, no, but your, your point is absolutely correct. There was very few people there for what should have been. There was a, less than a thousand people in the middle. Should have been stuff. a support. Yeah, it's not like the EMS. It doesn't matter if people turn to the EMS. It's nice they do. It doesn't matter. It's like Corentic. It doesn't matter to turn up. It's nice they it's do. It's not put on for spectators. No. No. World Superbikes is supposed to have an audience. Uh, you know, fifteen, and it's twenty, thirty thousand supposed to turn up. Great place to go. Great area of the world to go to. It's lovely. Fabulous circuit. But it's got no Badly local run. walk up. There's what? no local walk-up. There's no. no. It's not. It's not in a particularly populous part of Portugal, and it's a part of Portugal who live off the tourist trade. So they're actually out busy looking Working. after people, looking yeah. after people who come to to visit the race. So um, you know, we've had this conversation before, but is this the wrong time of year for superbikes to go to Portimao? Well, given the fact they could have gone any time in the previous two months during their ridiculous two months and a, and a week I break, I don't think that helped. Um, you know, I think this was the wrong race to go to. to if come they back. could, if they could throw it into, uh, you know. If I'm honest, August, then they might get more holiday travel. No, because when we had the uh, sports cars there in the the high season, nobody turned up, and it was just ridiculously mm. hot, and everything was super expensive. Uh, we'll stay on two wheels and move from the Algarve uh, and the sunshine and excitement <laughs> of that holiday destination. To the sunshine and excitement of rural Cheshire and <laughs> Alton Park, and we say good evening to Kerry Cobb. Hi, Kes, how are you? Good, good evening. Loving the show as always, guys. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, not not quite sunshine in Cheshire, though, sadly. Eventually, <laughs> we got some sunshine. I have to say, I watched um, the the weekend oh, unfold. Um, I love that version of the track going all the way down to the Shell Oils hairpin and using the chicanes that the motorcycles do. I actually think we should race cars on that more more often. It's um, awfully dull for cars because you it? can't overtake no. it. It's so narrow on that loop. Yeah, it's that is... Na- yeah, it's a bit too narrow, I but saw, it's a great circuit. saw a classic Formula Ford round there some years ago and thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, oh, now, Formula Ford cars are probably small enough to get away with it. Yes, exactly. With anything point. bigger than a classic Formula Ford. Even though it wasn't a great weekend weather-wise, big crowd turned out, Kerry, and yeah. um, we're into... The, the shootout now, which is BSB's version of the playoffs with six riders <laughs> in with a chance of the championship. And Leon Haslam is the red hot favourite and he completely nosed it up uh, and had to start from the back of the grid in the first race, which clearly meant that was his championship all over and done with. Except well, it wasn't. Except it wasn't because you can never write him off. And and like my lovely friend and colleague at BSB Radio says, expect the unexpected, believe the unbelievable, predict the unpredictable. Um, it's the showdown. Yeah, it's 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 we're nearly there now. We've only got two more meetings to go. But Alton Park, it was our second visit there this season. And yeah, Leon, the little pocket rocket, he was so close to winning it last year. And kind of everybody, almost everybody wants him to win it this year. But you cannot write off any of these six. You really can't. They're really all up for it. And, and of course, Jake Dixon was the one that just ran away with it at the weekend. This young little lad, he's just come in and gone to Leon, chase me. <laughs> and it was as simple as that. Um, the first race was was very wet. How um, close do we think, Curry, it was to that race not getting away? Drive, riding around uh, as a singleton bike, it's wet, it's difficult, but the guys are used to that and they're outstanding riders. And let's not forget, 
BSB formula, not like superbikes, no traction control on these bikes. Mm-hmm. So it's your backside and your right hand that's controlling all that 225 horsepower going through the rear uh, tyre. Absolutely. But once everybody off went off the grid, I was amazed at how much spray there was. Well, this is it. And I mean, they were all on the, the wet tyres, so that does help enormously. Um, but what was happening at Alton Park all weekend, even in the practice sessions on Friday, was that one minute it was dry and the next minute, literally within minutes, it would absolutely tip it down and then it would be dry again. It was like a tropical rainstorm in Cheshire. Um, so, yeah, it was very difficult and even even more so in the second race, which we'll, we'll come on to in a minute. But, yeah, the, I mean, they these boys are brave, as you were just talking about you know broken collarbones and the like racing around the circuits these guys don't care they're out to win <laughs> they just go for it it's amazing so um i caught up with the guys um at the press conference at alton park and of course as you as you said leon haslam from the back from the back of the grid to third i mean that is something special you know and i asked him i mean that has got to be the hardest race of the year did he feel it was a tough one a little bit of carnage out there, um, a lot of spray. Um, I got a really good start, actually. I, I made most of the places up in the first lap. Um, and then every time I got behind someone, they high-sided or lost the front or run wide. And So, yeah, I was uh, just kind of dodging people for the first three laps. But, uh, yeah, once I got into a nice rhythm and I had a little bit of a gap to J- uh, Jason, which obviously I managed to bridge, um, the feeling was quite good. Um, I knew I wasn't going to catch these two boys, so... Uh, you know, third was my target, and um, once I got on the back of him, I had a little bit of a breather and, and, and just obviously made it count for, for the third place. That was Leon Haslam, the pocket rocket, talking about race one at Alton Park. Um, of course, it was Tommy Bridewell and Jake Dixon that he was talking about there that just went off, 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 and there was no catching them. Um, and Tommy Bridewell, uh, the first time for Ducati, Moto Rapido Ducati on the podium, which I think is about 11 different teams have made it to the podium this season. Um, so when I caught up with him, I said to him, second on the grid, second on the podium, leading for half of it until Jake went past him. Did you feel you could do any better it's, it's difficult it's difficult because to be honest uh for me it's a little bit of rebuilding confidence in in everything so um i got out at the start was watching my pit board and could see i was just breaking away a little bit um i was having a few moments and i got to a relatively strong pace quite early and then i actually saw jake's board over the line and thought and saw plus seven seconds and i thought right it's just the two of us um and towards mid-race, I could see as we were coming out the hairpin that there was no one even sort of coming around the long left. Um, and I thought, right, it's sort of it's between us two. But, yeah, Jake just had a little bit more, if I'm honest. Um, so it's one of them, you know. I'm, I'm really happy, really happy for the team. The whole Motor Rapido Ducati teams deserve it. Um, they gave me the bike and, and I just sort of like rode around. So, yeah, it was um, a, a good good race. <laughs> they're so humble aren't they it's just unbelievable extraordinary yeah. in those I... those conditions that we yeah. had in that first race Kerry I mean uh, Tommy I thought Tommy rode really really well but ultimately uh, the Ducati was the was the bike to have this weekend wasn't it 
Uh, excuse well, me, the, the uh, Kawasaki. The Kawasaki, absolutely. But, I mean, Jake, he has been consistent all all season. He's been racking up podium points, but he hasn't had, he's had one win all season. So he's just come out of nowhere this weekend. And that's what I said to him. I said, like, a remarkable run of podiums. You come to Alton Park knowing that you have to win now. That's what you have to do. Um, and he, did the conditions suit you? To be fair, in every condition, I felt really good this weekend. And uh, Tommy, at the beginning, was, I was actually struggling to stay with him because he was setting such a good pace early on. And the Kawasaki seems to just take its time to, to switch the back tyre on. And, and once it came good, I got past Tommy and I thought, right, time to, to push and try and break a gap now. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't change gear. And then I was thinking, oh, no, I think I'm stuck in whatever. So and then I tried shutting off and I had to go to old school and, and, and riding it when you have no blipper or uh, upshift so I was having to shut off and, and then use the clutch as well so <laughs> it was hard work but uh, like I say it's a credit to the team to, to have the bike to allow me to go as fast as I did today and uh, hopefully we can do the same in race two. Uh, extraordinary that uh, Nick mm-hmm. Nick's sitting here listening to that and he didn't see the weekend's race so this is a wet race Nick mm-hmm. where you don't have the uh, shifter working or the downshifter, upshifter, downshifter, the quick shift isn't working, so it's not blipping. He had to go back to using the clutch. Now, when you've not been doing that for a while, that takes yeah. some getting used to. You've ridden bikes, straight bikes that have got that my facility on. My bike is, um, is clutched up and down, he wants it to be. Well, most bikes are clutchless up. If you, no, it has got a quick shifter and it's got a blipper down as well. Yeah. Which is quite, I quite, it's just quite fun, quite fun the blipper. I mean, the, the issue is, of course, is that if you get it wrong in the wet, you've got a chance of locking the rear, which isn't, yeah fatal as it would be locking the front but it's very disconcerting and it's going to cost you lap time i thought that was an extraordinary ride vying actually for for haslam for for rider the the race there jake dixon is in the top six so he is in the championship yeah and and the two kawasaki riders um do seem to be the class of the field the second race curry um yes the weather played a bit more ball in fairness it wasn't completely dry everybody went out on slick tires but offline and one or two places under the trees there was a a bit of dampness and it was difficult to get uh, some uh, heat into that, uh, into those slick tyres. And Michael Laberty came a, a cropper uh, early on, I think, around about lap five when he was looking in a good position. Well, I mean, this is it. Uh, there was about five or six riders that came off at that first turn because the changing weather conditions were such that, you know, one minute it was dry on one part of the track, one minute it was wet on one part of the track. There was literally one part where um, at that first turn the first corner somebody was going off every time they went round it was like we lost Ray Cooper the Osho Jason O'Halloran Michael Laverty Tom Neve they all went out in the second race so even though the weather was better the conditions were so different on different parts of the track it was it was really dodgy but it was the same three oh hang on hang on hang on hang on (laughs) before before you get to the top three again I want to (laughs) talk to to the about the young man who finished in fourth position young Taron McKay Kenzie, yeah. uh, second generation rider on the Yamaha. He was only six seconds uh, away and I thought he had a stunning ride. He's really yes. coming of age this year and he's, he is a young lad, but he's starting to show a bit of maturity, I think, Kerry. Absolutely agree with you. Taron McKenzie, the younger brother of Taylor McKenzie. He is brilliant. He did really well in free practice, really well in, in qualifying. Um, and as you say, came came fourth in that race, really showing good pace and really showing a maturity as well. You know, really lovely to talk to as well. Great guy. 
ultimately the top three were the same, albeit a little bit uh, jumbled up for the second race. Well, absolutely, um, because there is just no stopping Leon at the moment. Jake just ran away with it. There was no catching him, although, having said that, it did come down to the wire. Um, but it was Tommy Bridewell that finished on the third step of the podium, um, and it was an excellent weekend for him and the Moto Rapido Ducati team. And I said to him, in such changing conditions, did you feel confident it's it's difficult. It's difficult because, to be honest, uh, for me, it's a little bit of rebuilding confidence. I felt confident coming into today, but yeah, it was always going to be a challenge. These guys are, are riding, you know, with a lot of confidence and super fast. And I'm not making excuses. There's still a little bit of me that's still understanding the Ducati towards the end of the race. Um, so we're still learning. But credit to the Motor Rapido Ducati team, top Ducati yet again, um, and it just goes to show with the right team and everything. What, what I can do so massive thanks to them um, and yeah on to Aston where we need to just try and keep the ball rolling the bike works really well there um, I like the circuit so hopefully we can have a, a good strong end to the season second and third then for Tommy Bridewell on the Morton Rapido Ducati he's not in no. the, the shootout of course because the start of the season wasn't great for the Ducati rider that it left the top it is. To, and, and not, this absolutely is, this is my thing about Tommy Bridewell he is awful for well, pretty much up until the end of August. Then suddenly, when contract <laughs> end talks, of June, yes, contract talks are coming round. Suddenly, he uh, starts uh, doing well. Uh, that's bit. that's that's not a bad that's not a bad shout actually. Uh, so it's left to the Kawasaki's to to fight a doubt. Leon Haslam uh, eventually ended up in second position by around about a second. Kerry. Yeah, I mean, it was seven seconds at one point, and in the end, it got, got he, he was chasing me. If he'd had a couple of more laps, he may have caught up with Dixon. But the good thing is, he didn't, he was, but he is still leading the championship. And um, I just asked him, Are you looking forward to Assen? Yeah, Jake just got away. He, uh, he got his head down straight from the go, and um, I really didn't know if I'd catch him or not. But then we all come into a bit of tyre issues. and. I pushed on as hard as I could then and uh, just fell short of a few laps. But no, uh, Jake's had an awesome weekend with a double win and I'm really happy with uh, what we've achieved with uh, the things that's happened this weekend. So that was Leon Haslam yeah. in second. But there was no stopping Jake Dixon on the RAF regular and reserves Kawasaki. Um, I, he just hit the groove, didn't he? He really did this weekend. And even the exceptional talent that is Leon Haslam couldn't hold a candle to him, really. No, I mean, he got go. He, I mean, he just went off like a starting pistol right from the start. <laughs> he just bossed it, you know. Um, and I, I said to him, your first double of the season, race two was like a stroll in the park. But did he know that Leon was, did he, did you know that Leon was catching you up lap by lap? Six uh, seconds down to 1.1, Jake. Do you know what? I got a good start and I felt really, really comfortable until about eight laps to go and then I fell into some really bad tyre trouble. So, and I just see my ball coming down and I just knew it was going to be Leon and I just thought, oh, for God's sake, here we go again. But uh, obviously a massive credit to these two. Uh, they rode fantastic all weekend. You can be caught out in such tricky conditions all weekend throughout every session and uh, just want to say a massive thanks to my team as well because they've done an awesome job and, and to provide me a bike to be able to put it where I want it, even though I haven't got the rear grip that I want. So, uh, yeah, credit to them and uh, just can't wait for the rest of the season. It, it, yeah, definitely. I think Assen's uh, a really good circuit for me. I've, I've gone well there in Supersport and uh, last year wasn't so great, but uh, it was my first year there on a big bike. So, uh, 
<clears throat> yeah, with uh, a year's experience and uh, going there with some confidence, yeah, it should be good fun. Great, uh, great stuff, Kerry. Thanks for, for getting those <laughs> interviews for us as well. Um, Peter Hickman in sixth, Bradley Rear oh. in fifth, Glenn Irwin in fourth, and Josh Brooks in third respectively, yes. on the BMW, Suzuki, Ducati and Yamaha. So four different manufacturers there, separated <laughs> by 10 points in, in the playoffs. But then there's 43 points up to Jake Dixon on, on the Kawasaki, and he's got, what, 29 points um, uh, to make up on Leon Haslam. I mean, if Leon doesn't fall off or have a really bad race, <sighs> this has got to be his championship, hasn't it? Well, I, I want to say yes, but do you, I don't know if you remember what happened last year. He yeah. missed out in the last round. I mean, it was just, he should have won it last year. And it was just like the final round. It just all went pear-shaped for him. And it was, of course, Shaky Byrne that won it. But, you know, you just can't predict it. You just can't. And Jake, Jake rode like an absolute demon at the weekend. Where's this come from, from Jake? Because all of a sudden he's got a bit of momentum, which we haven't really seen the confidence that I saw, particularly in that first wet race. I haven't seen that from Jake Dixon this year. And I thought his maturity in the second Mm -hmm. race, where he knew Leon was bearing down on him. But, you know, it would have been easy for him there to actually push too hard and fall off. He didn't. He brought it home. Yeah. And he's 22. Let's not forget that. He's a young lad. Go on, sorry. Yeah, that's a great point. I'd forgotten that. He's 22. Yeah, Leon's been around a lot longer than Jake. And and you can tell that as well in the way Leon rides. But Jake is just, he just got his head down and he went, I'm having this. What uh, We were talking about World Superbikes earlier on. Obviously, they have got the traction control, but the, the guys in BSB having to ride without traction control, is that a benefit or a hindrance for them if they move up into World Superbikes? Um, do well, they have more feel? More? I, I liken it to the... I'm older uh, than most people uh, here, but I, I remember when the Americans came across... Um, to race in the UK Championships years ago. And, uh, sorry, say again, Nick? When was that, uh, That was me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're not going to transit trans- trophy memories, are we? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. And as soon as it rained, of course, everybody thought the Americans would be blown away. But they were used to the bikes moving around because they'd been flat tracking and dirt tracking and, you know, there was no traction control in, in those days. And the Americans more than held their own. So, you know, does that give the advantage then to the guys from BSP if they move up onto World Superbikes, particularly if conditions get bad? I can't answer that. You better ask Leon Haslam. <laughs> well, he's going to find out, isn't he? He's going to find out next season because this is his last season in British Superbikes. So he's going to find out. Um, but aren't they looking at a new system for next year? Yeah. Well, wasn't there like an ECU or something that they were looking at? They're, I don't know. They are looking at some technical changes again for next year. Do you think you're close to these riders um, working with BSB Radio across the, the, the weekend uh, for the Bennett's British Superbike Championship? Yeah. Um, uh, do you think that... that Leon wants to sign off with a championship belt to take oh, with him, as it were. Definitely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. He wants this. He really wants to go out on a high. And um, But he just didn't reckon on Jake Dixon, I don't think. No. I, I, <laughs> I think it's going to be a straight. I mean, I know it's the showdown. I know the six of them are title fighters. But I really do feel this is a straight dog fight now between Jake and Leon. Uh, Jake's got the momentum right now. Has Liam got it in him? 
to ride for the championship or do you think he'll still go for the race wins? Because that could be his downfall in some respects. Oh, that's a good question. I think he's he's clever enough and he's got the right strategy. I think he'll he'll make sure he gets enough points to win it. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, you looking forward to Assen? Yes, I can't wait. We've got two races there to look forward to. And then, of course, we've got three at Brands Hatch in the middle of October. So that will be... Hopefully it'll go down to the wire. I'm sure it will. And when you come back and join us and update us, if not after after the next one, certainly after Brands Hatch and give us the rundown. I'd love to. Thank you. Thanks, Kerry. Brilliant stuff. Enjoy, Asin. I am very, very... Uh, very, very envious if you're going there. Before uh, you go, Tim would like to say. No, after, after Kerry's gone, I'd like to say. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Kerry. See you. See you soon. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you to uh, to Kerry for joining us. Kerry Cobb for joining us on Midweek Motorsport. Tim. Uh, the last Transatlantic Trophy was in 1991, so uh, listeners, you can work out for yourself. Uh, the era that John was referring to. That was where uh, Kevin Schwantz made his name back in what '77. Didn't he beat? Didn't he beat Barry or or some of the locals there? Is it Schwantz? Was it? Was that? Was that Kenny Robert? It was. It, no, it was, it was, it was it, so. Barry uh, won it in '79. This is Sheen, by the way. Barry Sheen. Uh, obviously, Barry was Sheen was world champion in '76. So um, anyway, it was a great thing. It was a great. It was a, over a very short period of time. One race at Silverstone, one race at um, Brands, wasn't it? Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Was it a long weekend it was over or was it over two weekends? Uh, it was Easter that they ah, went to yes. uh, Donington. I don't know when the brands was. Mm. Right, just after nine o'clock, that means it's time to move on. Still to come on Midweek Motorsport. And is there any chance you could bring some dessert to the VO booth, please? Oh, the dessert tonight was outstanding. Spelt flour crumble on top of Joe Bradley's apples. Not a euphemism. And some... Please let that be a euphemism. No, it is not. Thank goodness he, uh, his plums aren't ready yet. Uh, and uh, English raspberries, along with some uh, very nice custard. Well done, the responsible adults. Coming up in the second half of tonight's programme, Jeremy Shaw will be talking IndyCar. And there's been some breaking news whilst we've been on the air about IndyCar for next year we'll have more of your tweets please at Specutainment Nick stays with us but next we are going stateside we'll be talking NASCAR with Declan Brennan on Midweek Motorsports about 10 seconds left if you want to fill it Sport. On RS1. So, into the second hour of the show, and uh, Nick Damon is uh, with us. Would you like to be going to Assen for that British Superbikes? Yes. Have you ever been to Assen? No. No. Mm. No. Maybe you can uh, sneak across in Kerry's luggage. Kevin Schwantz and Wayne Rainey uh, made their mark in the 1987 Transatlantic Trophy. Oh, did they? Yes. Is it that long ago? 1987. Just the 31 years, John. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, why do you think, then, BSB persists with no traction control? I think it's great. and It showed up pretty well at the weekend. If you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out. Um, I think it, it, I've just realised I really need... Well, 
I keep I keep forgetting to tell you a, very, a friend of mine is the man who runs all the technical stuff on on World Superbikes. Mm-hmm. We need to get him on the show. Um, uh, yes, we do. <laughs> Scott Smart. He's um. Uh, oh yeah, Paul Smart. Yeah. Paul's, uh, Paul's son. Yeah. Um. So um. Yeah. So I think this is kind of coming again and again. We need to get him on the show as soon as possible because I've been chatting about this sort of thing with him because he's an RC racer as well in, in the off season. Um. And cousin of. Yes, exactly. Of Barry. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I think it's. The fact is that, um, as with anything, traction control is actually, even in a very powerful race bike, you don't want to be using it. It, You know, it's much like you don't want to be using it in a a GT3 It's actually just about how brutal you can be with throttle opening. It's not that it kills all the wheel spin. Yeah, they get get a setting of 10. They'll all be down to 1 on a nice, dry, sunny day in Aragon. Yeah. But Um, if you're on a BSB bike with 225 horsepower through the back wheel and you crank it open... In the wet... As, but, as they will have, but, they will have, but they will have a wet map. They're allowed to have a different map, which, which, which will change the way the throttle re- reacts. But, um, yeah. Mm. They're just very good. This is the point. They're all, dance, <sighs> no, no. they're all dancing on ice, effectively, in a far more uh, interesting way than the ITV show. They are, they are not just very good. They're extraordinary. Um, can't get in touch with Declan at the moment, so he's let's still, move he's on. Still got a lightning strike. I issues. think he's still got uh, some issues uh, from his... Uh, from his service provider, so we'll uh, we'll give that a go in a moment. Let's take uh, some of your uh, tweet messages. Um, talking about Formula One earlier on, taking uh, betting money, and uh, Ramiro says uh, it happens in many places, uh, legally or not. Many other sports too. F1 should trade free TV for that income. Fans and viewers fleeing from the sport. App needs to be better uh, and not otherwise. That's from Mexico, by the way. I don't think fans are fleeing from the sport. And obviously, I can't. Was it was it after the last week's show that they announced that Channel Four in the UK were going to get full terrestrial rights? Uh, they they're getting um, highlights right, yeah, which is what which is fine. I think if you have a highlights package on terrestrial, you know, yeah. if we have to be, and perhaps we do, slaves to PPV, then to keep it relevant you need to have people able to actually see the product and, the, and in the uk in this broker no they'll be able to see the product as a highlight of every race and qualifying as well which mm. to me is a the best solution we can have with the current climate i'm not saying it's the best solution um I... pascal herbig has tweeted at spectatement ray lewis hamilton um you mean his car was brilliant lewis as usual is nothing more than average he's carried by a superior car Okay, on the scale of agreeing with Pascal to disagreeing with Pascal, I'm kind of so far over to disagreeing with Pascal that I've fallen off the side well, and gone to ultra disagreeing with him. Why? Ipa. Ipa. Ipa disagreeing. Ipa disagreeing. Then why isn't Bottas winning races? Exactly. If the car's that much. I, I think, that, uh, listen, I still think, I've said all the way through, I still believe, it I was, do not it believe. It's not the best car for, three, for at least five races. It might have I think it's changed. the best package for racing. It's hard to tell racing. because we've had a, uh, two odd circuits, the ultimate fast circuit and one of the two ultimate slow circuits. Um, you know, Russia's closer um, to a no- more normal track, so let's see there. But I, I, Right turn know. lover says, in my opinion, he was a bit wobbly at the start of the season, but Ferrari and Vettel not converting give him some wind beneath his wings and he's been brilliant lately. Uh, on sports betting, um, says, uh, uh, let's go back a little bit. Uh, Big Toad Energy says, as long as team and form personnel are barred for betting on F1, I'm all right with it. But let's not forget, um, teams, manufacturers, 
and sponsors are going to be allowed to sponsor Grand Prix now. Right, turn there, over. There is, obviously, and there has been uh, gambling on... Um, I just actually remember, I actually made some money gambling on F1. <laughs> uh, in Australia, in 1998. Mm-hmm. Because obviously the gam the the bookies who had just looked at last year's results and hadn't looked at the testing. Right. Um, that was the first year of the narrow cars and groove tyres with um, Adrian Newey, and it's pretty obvious that McLaren were going to be on pole, but they still thought it was Williams mm. because of the previous years it had always been Williams, and it was really tough. do I think that that Mika Hakkinen or David Coulthard was going to go faster? Which is the easiest question ever. I got nine to one on that. <laughs> nine to one for Hakkinen to be on pole for the Australian Grand Prix. Um. Right, turn lover agrees with both of us. Sam VP says, I guess it just fits into the Americanisation of the sport. I'm surprised we haven't got a second and third There's nothing wrong. GP in There's the USA. There's nothing wrong with the Americanisation of sports. It, 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 that, doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. It, 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 the only thing I have against American coverage of sport is the massive number of ad breaks. The way they cover sport is very good and, it, and often very innovative. You haven't seen but much of the NFL this year, then, have you? No, it's bad. Coverage is not bad. Well, bad. I haven't watched NFL. But it's the adverts, and I think that's where American That's sports, format. Yeah, that's where you format. get that. I mean, if you, I, I, the baseball's brilliant. There's three or four different versions. They, the, the amount of information they manage to put into very simple graphics, and the enthusiasm is great. Uh, John Mayer says, I'm uh, against sports betting of any kind because of the corruption it encourages. Well, I understand that in many parts of the world it's part of pro sports but frankly I believe it has no place in amateur sports seriously betting on students whose first job is something other than sports Dave Alcock says uh, betting on Formula 1 a really bad idea simply too strong a temptation to corrupt a race result especially if in-race betting is, is permitted, which it's going to be, uh, it'll be inevitable. Every sport in which in-game betting has been allowed has been tainted. We don't need it in motorsport. In-race betting is already available in Formula 1. It has been for decades. So what's the change, Tim? That Formula sanction. 1 is going to appoint an official uh, okay. betting partner. And promote it. within the uh, uh, and, a, and, and you'll a, be able to do it from the Formula 1 website right. and app. Davey says, Davey Tupro says, uh, I 100% agree with Dave Alcock. What kind of message does it send to young fans? My 10-year-old daughter is just getting into racing. She's the biggest F1 fan. So does this mean that next year she'll see in-race betting odds everywhere? Well, that's a really good point. I mean, now we've currently got those screens, I can't, the virtual screens, which really annoy me, like, push now, Sebastian. You know, that's it's rubbish. amateur. Yes. They, they might, Close to they, the they, they, There's nothing to put them down Vettel to win 8-1, to one, is there? Or 4-1, to one, or, you know, because, as you say, if they are regionalising those digital adverts, then they can just go to the country where they're allowed to do it. Are they going to be doing in-game markets? Like, you know how they bet on corners or flags or yards yeah, there'll def- games? There'll definitely be a, so p- there'll be a position gain. There'll be the spread betting. Lost. To be honest, in, in F1, that's the only thing that's going to have any yeah. interest is spread betting. And, 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 and Tim, I realise on, on, the, on the betting exchanges all this is possible, but this is, the, this is a change from people passively betting on something that's happened to be completely endorsed by the organisation that's running well, it. Well, also, it's about taking it to a bigger non-betting culture. This is taking it to the wider culture, and the only reason they'll be doing this is because they're getting a large amount of money into it. It was something that people talked to us about some years ago at Le Mans, um, when we first started doing Le Mans as RSL, Mm -hmm. about doing in-race betting, and we decided that it wasn't something that we wanted to be involved with. uh, for a, a number I, of different I'm not, reasons. I'm not sitting here. I have no puritanical reasons against it. Fran Blaisdell says he's betting the new tobacco for Formula One. Well, they have been trying to replace tobacco for the last, uh, what, 10, 11 years. And it is. And if you actually watch 
the advertising makeup in between most sports programs on both BT and Sky in the UK and everyone else. It Satellite is, channels there. It, sorry, Folks. it is mostly the various well-known betting well, exchanges well, there's, and clubs. There's a reason for that because the regulations in the UK forbid any betting until after the watershed, uh, any advertising of betting until after the watershed, unless it's in live sport. Oh, you're right. You know a lot, don't you? I didn't know that. Is that, is that right, Tim? It was proposed. I don't know whether that actually ever came into effect. No, that, I think that's happening now. Um, it went bonkers during the World Cup, of course. One parallel here, of course, is um, what was the tobacco company's justification for sponsoring uh, Formula to One teams? To change brands. Yes. And that is exactly the tactics that we're really? seeing from Betty, betting How companies interesting. at the moment. It's all yeah. about brand and not it's about not. actual making it's the not. bet. It's not. And just think about it. Let's, let's, let's be honest about this. If you are, again, I haven't got a, a, a pre-attack against it. I think there are vulnerable people here who don't want to advertise it to. But at the moment, we have a complete run. Most countries have a complete run through the Grand Prix. So there are no advertising breaks. So the only time they're going to see it and be, be tempted or, or spurred on is by something pinging through the actual programming. Mm. Um, you know, all right, in, in football, at the half-time, there'll be several you know, live odds come up and that sort of thing. And again, it's it's more a case of, I think, I, yeah, it's, it, I'm just wondering perhaps at this point whether actually I'm out of step with, with where the world is sometimes. You, you mm. do sometimes think perhaps I, it, it's moved away from us and I'm, and I'm the one wrong and they're the ones who are, are maximising what they should be. Because just to me, it seems wrong. Uh, let's do. Uh, let's look forward to the weekend. A couple of live events at the weekend, with the VLN. Oh. Uh, uh, VLN and what's Seven. What's this week's race called? Um, oh, I knew you were going to ask me. I that knew it's called VLN Seven. It's the ADAC <laughs> Reinoldus Langstreckenringen. Easy for you to say. Okay. Um, that's on Saturday morning. It'll be uh, Bruce Jones and Paul Trusswell uh, bringing you live sound and vision. For that, uh, as ever, the entry list is a bit um, flexible. Not for not that. Down. We'll find out after qualifying, probably, for most of the drivers. Uh, our, our second, uh, that's going to be over on RS3 at the weekend. On RS1, uh, we're back with the ELMS and the uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup. Uh, ELMS and Michelin Le Mans Cup are uh, getting towards the end. In fact, it's the penultimate round of the uh, the championship and it's at Spa. 40 entries and two titles of the six that's up for grab could be decided uh, this Sunday. It'll be Johnny Palmer who'll be leading our uh, leading our commentary team again in sound and vision both on RadioLamont.com uh, and uh, oh, excuse me on RS1 uh, and also on the player on the website. LMP2 grid, 16 cars. It's all been about G-Drive racing, number 26. This is Roman Rusinov and Andrea Pizzatola leading the driving championship. Jean-Eric Verne has been driving with them for most of the season, but not at Le Castellet at the opening round at, uh, at the south of France. He's 12 points behind. Uh, they've won three races, the last three races, and won the P2 category uh, at the World Endurance Championship at Spa in May. Suffice to say that G-Drive are on a bit of a roll at the moment, Nick. Yes, and, and sometimes they, they win races when they're not actually doing it properly. But we don't have a result that year, do we? Um, mm. The um, uh, the repeal after that the... That should have happened this week. Yeah, it didn't, did it? It's got delayed. 
So at some point, we're not happening in June. Just don't know it now. Um, yeah, in June, they're very, very impressive. I've only seen up close, obviously, one race, which is the Silverstone round. And they, after being comprehensively, time-wise, blown away by the Panis Barthes racing machine, uh, the that's uh, mm. Ligier, isn't it? Um, in uh, With uh, Will Stevens driving it. Uh, that car Will faded. Stevens was storming. He was great, but the car faded horribly during the race. It wasn't one of those things where you can go, oh, their their gentleman driver's not very good. The whole thing just drifted off, and G-Drive just, none of it down to Vern, just sprinted to the top. The four-hour format, which we're so used to now, just works brilliantly well for me. You can get three drivers uh, through that as well. Second in the championship at the moment is the uh, Racing Engineering Orica Gibson, 53 points. Uh, they have got, uh, that is Norman Nato, Paul Pettit and Oli Pla. Um, that's not exactly a bad lineup either, is mm. it? No, Oli Pla was not taking part in Silverstone because he was um, seconded to full-time Ford work, wasn't he? So I don't think he'd be uh, overall, he won't be in second, will he? No, the, the, the uh, G-Drive only needs to win or second to be uh, first or second at Spa and they will take the championship no, no matter what else they do. Of course, if they fall down the championship start at uh, the finish standings it'll be mm, all over the place uh, congratulations to rob garafal john ferrano and job van utiet who are leading the lmp3 class for bolton's finest rll motorsport rlr motorsport in their leisure nissan uh, 12 points is their lead the euro international number 11 and the number three United Autosport Ligiers are tied for second place uh, on 46.5 points and half a point behind on 46. Don't, oh. don't ask. Oh, I'm just. I'm, when, sorry, I'm going to ask. When were the half points given out? Was there a short race? <laughs> I don't know. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Because obviously, I don't know whether half, but there must have been a short race or a rain off or something. Or... It, I'll be surprised if that's sorted out this weekend. That'll go on to the final round, uh, which is at Portimao on my birthday. Oh, oh. there's somewhere I could go on my birthday. What date is it? What date is October it? the 28th. October the 28th, right. October the 28th. The, the Feast I'm of sure, St. Simon and I'm St. sure Jude. you're busy that day. Mm, not yet. Uh, <laughs> only six LMGT cars for the most part of the season, but they've they've been pretty impressive. They've they've mm. given some... That's a great... The, again, I, I'm not wish to be broken record, but the Silverstone race was fantastic. You know, it's, I've never seen a race won on a stagger, which perfectly it was. They managed to delay... Delay the, Managed to delay the... Uh, the Porsche just enough by some Ferrari team tactics to win by 0.2 of a second, even though they're 10.2 seconds ahead. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the 66 JMW Motorsport Ferrari. Alex McDowell, Liam Griffin, and Miguel Molina, who lots of, lots of thanks to Spirit of Race. Is it, is it Spirit of Race in, in ELMS? Or is it Spirit of Race with uh, with um, it, it was very good. The man who lives around the corner. Well, yes, we used, used to. to. The Matt Griffin. Matt Griffin. Uh, they won round two at Monza. They're on 58 points behind. Uh, well, the I must say about that, those Porsches are ridiculously noisy, by the way. Oh, they're great, they're, aren't they? They're un- no, they're in the pit lane, they're unnecessarily noisy. <laughs> <laughs> really? Unnecessarily noisy? Well, both they were underneath the podium. Right. And when I was doing the various support podiums, it, Podia. everything was running so tightly together that they'd be firing those things up as I was trying to say something. Well, and <laughs> I should say, of course, it is still a portion that leads the championship, just nine points ahead of the GT. Uh, e contenders, the 88 Proton competition Porsche, uh, and that is uh, Gianluca and Giorgio Roda. Matteo Caroli will be uh, joining them this weekend. Big news is uh, that's coming out around the place recently, and it may well be that we'll have more news on this, not this weekend, but next weekend. Work that one out. Is that Porsche are 
rumoured mm. to be putting a turbocharged engine in their RSR, the GTE car. Oh, so they're so changing the, it again. The big no- well, do you remember when that car, when they swapped the gearbox and the engine around? Yes, for, for diffuser. Uh, for diffuser, absolutely. Uh, incredibly, actually, that doesn't change the weight balance more than maybe 1% or oh, 2%. Okay. Yeah, it's extraordinary. But what it does okay, do is put the honking grip... Ruin the luggage capacity. <laughs> yes. No good at the tip anymore. Um, yeah. Um, and... Actually, get a rear boot like you've got in the. Uh, can in I, the can box I ask a question? Care. I should know the answer to. Yeah. The standard GT3 is still the old fashioned way around, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It, ha- yeah. it has to be. Yeah. That one has to be. It has yeah. to keep the configuration. Um, I asked the question then. Go back and listen to the walk around about why didn't they go for the turbocharged engine when they made that big change? Because that was a fundamental yeah, change. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, all of the road cars now are turbos mm-hmm. the three liter flat six turbos yes, that's your standard they have to be for emissions that, that's that's your standard carrera uh, in fact the only cars ironically that aren't turbos are the gt2s and the gt3s which is still normally aspirated at 3.8 and 4 liter depending on which one you can get your hands on um and uh, there's, there's, there were very good marketing reasons for them going to turbocharge in the RSR, and they didn't. And when I asked the question of the chief engineer, he said, we thought changing the engine and the gearbox around and changing the aerodynamics so fundamentally with that big back diffuser mm. was enough. We didn't want to add in another variable. That, that sounds eminently Porsche-like and sensible because yeah. he's you know you got everything's got to change. See the point about it is when you when you when you turn the engine around you still know what it's cooling it requires. Mm. With the with the point about turbos it requires completely different cooling. Yes. Um, in different places. But let's remember last year when the the first had the new RSR mm. with the engine and gearbox reversed with the honking grid diffuser on the back. Mm-hmm. They didn't actually do great. No. Um, they they did all right. But this year, they've got the handle on the car. They're working on it. They've worked with Michelin for a different set of tyres to go with the car. So they're going to re- announce it this year, you think, for next year? Yeah, I think so. So the, obviously, the, the advantage, even when you are beat, bopped down, is you get more torque with the turbo. Your ultimate horsepower. So basically, the what they've done is they've worked out the chassis and the aero yeah. in the and last now, two and seasons. Now, now like, they're going to add that now variable they want, back now in. Now another 150 pounds of torque. <laughs> what they've been saying all year is they don't have the power of the other cars around them, particularly things like the BMW with the turbocharged yeah. engine. BMW the, the size of a, of a rhinoceros. Took its first win at WeatherTech Race Wheel Laguna Sea again. an attractive car. I don't like BMWs normally. No, I think it's attractive. I like the new M4 as well. I think that's a really nice looking car. The new Aston, obviously, has... That's, the new Aston's having the same problem as the new Porsche. It's got, needs, needs in a its lot, first year. first year, needs a lot of development. Next year, possibly as soon as Daytona next year, but certainly I would expect for the 2019-20 WEC season. Uh, I know they're, they're, they're now doing celebratory uh, laps around Bathurst, which be an, to me is an indication they're not, they're not so keen on actually racing. They're looking for private teams to run those cars next year. Ouch. Yeah. What, in AM? Uh, yeah. Blimey, okay. Yeah. Blimey, O'Reilly. And possibly even in Pro, in, in well, in GT Le Mans in, in America, I guess. Um, Corvette have got a new twin-turbocharged mid-engine car. Is that car. next year or the year after? Well, the, will we see it at the Raw before the, the 24? It's been testing already. Or will it be held? It can't do Le Mans next year, whenever it comes out. It can't do Le Mans next year because it's... 
Oh, so, yes, of course, it's the super season. Correct. It's the last one of the transition season. So the question will be, will they have two bites at the launch cherry for Corvette? Once at Daytona, then have to run the old car at Le Mans, and then bring the new car in at Silverstone for the 1920 season? Or will they no, just... they're not in WEC. Oh, yeah, of course. But they will be in 1920. Oh, oh, hang on, you heard it here first. Well, I think they will be. I think they'll debut is the, the car. Is enough for a world car for that to be worthwhile? I think they'll have to be to guarantee their entries to Le Mans. After all the years they backed Le Mans when it wasn't doing as well. Oh, yeah. I know what you're saying. I, I think that actually they've been told that, if I'm honest. I think that's been more than Same hinted to them. Well, could be. Could be. Uh, let's go back. To, so that anyway, that's the weekend. RS1 will be Michelin Le Mans Cup and ELMS Saturday and Sunday. Michelin Le Mans Cup and qualifying Saturday and the four hours at Spa on Sunday. And on Saturday morning on RS3 and on the player, the video player and sound and vision, uh, it is VLN7 at the Nordschleife. The ADAC, the 58th running of the ADAC, Reinoldus Langstreckenrennen. And Tim Gray is up in London for uh, this evening. Uh, Jeremy Short to come in the last half hour of the programme, Series 13, Episode 36. And Tim Gray has what? And now, from Norwich, it's the Quiz of the Week. This has got to be just as good as uh, Declan Brennan would have been, surely. Nowhere near. Nowhere no, no, near. Way better. Nowhere near as good as Dex. But we haven't heard this for ages. I'm very excited. Ooh. Let's have a listen to what's on offer tonight. Jets. No. Speedboat. No. Caravan. Uh, a, a nice little family car. Now this week, our star prize is once again the popular Mini Metro. This one's in royal blue, has that lively 1,000cc engine that's easy on the fuel, and as usual, it's on offer for £140. But now, let's meet the man with the questions and the money. Nicholas Barson. We really need to get that voice oh, to Tim Gray. Yeah. Yes. That's I'm, fantastic. I'd like, point out that even the guy awarded the prize seemed disappointed it was the Mini Metro. In royal blue with that and lively once again, 1000. It's the Mini Metro. Because we couldn't get rid of it last yeah. week. And we're worried we got it for more than a couple of weeks, it'll rust away. You could never describe a one litre Mini Metro as anything <laughs> like lively. Look it up for those of you who are. 1,000 cc's. Yeah. That's very 40, lively. 44 horsepower, I think they said. If that. It would have weighed nothing as well. A friend of mine had, had a Mini Metro, and that's the first time I heard um, uh, Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. Oh, album. really? He said it on tape. Just before we get into this, uh, RC Racing has just summed it nicely. Uh, F1 betting to me it just sounds wrong officially okay. sponsored yeah. betting yep uh, let's so it's deal of the century uh, who's got what on offer and what are we bidding on Tim uh, well this is an auction this is currently in progress Ooh. so Ooh. I would like you to give us your guesses as to what the current bidding is Ooh. on these items <laughs> oh. and I'd like Excellent. you to give your responses in Australian dollars please Australian dollars I'll do it with the accent as well go on. Uh, who'd like to go first I'll go first go Nick Damon we have a 1994 HSV oh, uh, driven by Peter Brock this was the 002 car right 
a fully running car? Yes. Uh, okay, I'm going to cite... One of only three that were built. I'm two gonna, blue I'm and one red. I'm going to start with a basic 47000 Australian dollars. And John, you're going to go for... I'm going to go for $100,000. And Nick Damon is the winner on oh, this round. $32,000. Yeah, it's got more than to run, though, hasn't it? Mm. I'm one up. Yes. Next. That Mini Metro is almost mine. Yeah. Uh, we have a Holden dealer team, VK Commodore, nicknamed the Big Banger. This is from 1984. <laughs> right. Uh, it's the car that put Daglow Orange onto the four courts of uh, Australia. I wonder if Declan Brennan has an idea of how much this might be worth. Declan, what do you reckon they'd bid for I this guy? I was sort say $9. $9, he says. <laughs> Nine. Uh, John, John? How, how many do you think? Uh, I think $25,000. $25,000. Nick? Well, it's given the world Daglow Orange, uh, therefore it must be at least $61,000. $61, Currently on offer for six hundred and twenty thousand Australian dollars. Nick wins what again. It? It's what an ex-dealer team car. It's an ex-dealer team. Is car. it gold? Gold. Stay glow orange and white. Right, moving on. One more. Uh, let's one. move on to the two thousand and two Team Brock VX Commodore V eight supercar. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, start with Nick. No, start with you. Start with. John. All right, mate, five hundred thousand dollars. Five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> uh, Nick next. Uh, seventy-seven thousand seven hundred and seventy-seven dollars and seventy-seven cents. And Declan. Seventy-seven thousand dollars, seven hundred and seventy-seven dollars and seventy-eight cents. <laughs> and the point goes to Declan. It's one hundred and two thousand. Sorry, one hundred four thousand one hundred dollars. Can I just say that we're going to take a point off Declan for playing the game properly? From yeah, Declan. That is the that is the scumbag's way of playing the points is wrong, by the way. That it really is. But, right in between. Which 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 I think at the end of this it does mean anyway, the Mini Metro is mine. It does. Can I, can I tell you a racing story about a Mini Metro? You can. Is so, it racing or rallying? No racing. Uh, racing, Phoenix Park, European Metro Championship uh, eighty seven maybe. Oh, classic. And they the Phoenix Park well known for its deer uh, which they corral uh, obviously during the races but one got out and on the warm-up lap uh, a stag is gallivanting around uh, quite close to the track uh, only in ireland uh, in brackets and uh, one of the late guys out on the warm-up lap uh, tootles past me and i'm looking the other way because i'm a flag marshal so i'm not looking at him i'm looking back up the track Brilliant. the other way just, just checking the track before we get on with things and i hear a thump and i suddenly realize oh god the poor stag and I turn around, and yes, there has been a collision, but it is the Mini Metro that is on its side, and the, <laughs> and, and the stag is shaking its head, going, bloody hell, I think I've got something in my ear. <laughs> and uh, uh. The Marshals had to put the, the Metro back up uh, onto four wheels, and it continued its... So, that uh, so the Metro like... didn't, have to be, uh, didn't have to be put down humanely, it was fine. <laughs> That's that's the best news. Declan, good evening. Welcome along. We've got you on too. Let's drag this back because I've got a lot to get through. Uh, and Jeremy Shaw uh, is coming on in uh, a little while. Declan, um, uh, thank you for, for working hard to get your connectivity back for us this evening here on Midweek Motorsport. Um, it was the first showdown race at the weekend. First of the race for the chase for the cup for the quest for the thing. And congratulations after a crash fest to Brad Keselowski. Yeah, uh, I... I, I... Tried to make notes on how many yellows there were, <laughs> and I gave up. You ran out of paper. It was 
There was 12, and, and I think basically 12 or, or at least a, a, a double figures of the 16 uh, playoff contenders uh, were involved in crashes. It was really? kind of ludicrous, in all fairness. Uh, and then, then you add in the, the uh, 100 degree heat in Las Vegas in the daytime in what is still effectively summer. But I mean, and, at uh, least Las Vegas is a great venue. It always gets a good crowd there. Huge. I've, I've been there uh, to watch all kinds of, of stuff there. Uh, IndyCar, sadly, uh, that, was, that wasn't a great weekend, but I've watched drag racing there. I've watched sports car racing there. It's a great facility and it gets a great crowd. Uh, well, it used to get a great crowd. Oh, uh, really? I didn't see any of it. 45,000 turned turned up. Uh, That's 120,000 stadium, isn't it? Uh, well, no, it was. It had actually had more than that, and and they're one of the many stadiums who have, in recent years, uh, instead of trying to promote large uh, numbers, they have just simply pulled the seats out, which wow. tells where they think the uh, crowd numbers are going in the long term. Uh, so 45,000 turned up, and and the the promoters. Uh, uh, they couldn't. They couldn't keep them away on Saturday. So the sponsors were there also on Saturday, and were horrified. It wasn't their event, but they were horrified to see virtually empty stands for the Xfinity race on a, on a, on the Saturday. The, the, so uh, this all goes to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, and about the business model of NASCAR. We didn't get the chance. We were talking about other things, but we didn't get the chance to talk about furniture raw. By, by no means one of the marquee teams, but also not a starting park, not a back of the a grid journeyman team who are no more. Well, it's funny. They became, yeah, you're right. They were they were never never either. They were kind of a mid-pack who were capable of good results and had gotten good results over the years. Uh, the the stars seemed to align when, when you could tell something very positive was happening when, when uh, when uh, Martin Truex joined them, and they 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 began a they had initially when they when they launched they were kind of plug and play they had a, a partnership with Hendrick so they they were they chose the very unusual route of basing themselves uh, pretty much out of their uh, where their business was based in 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 Colorado, and it literally is a row of giant furniture businesses. Yes. Uh, it's not a row over furniture. It's not furniture railway. No, it should be. Yes, that's very good. Yeah, I, like I, I want the coffee table over there. No, it's going over there. Uh, <laughs> Move the that, sofa to the left a bit. No. Yeah, exactly. That's furniture row. <laughs> yes, this is furniture row racing. Uh, and then le- over the years, leveraged their their buying power to have you know some of their their retail partners like Sealy Mattresses involved with them and things like that. So they they but they what they did was what a lot of which is exactly what Target did back in uh, Nigel Mansell's IndyCar days. They looked at third-party sponsors to help them get involved and gave yeah, them yeah, uh, better yeah. shelf space and and islands yeah. and on, um, you know, the holiday weekends and stuff like that. Well, so they actually did sweat the asset quite well. Yeah, they did. But ultimately, they were they were a very much a, a passion project, and they were a, an owner-funded, you know, team. It was he was he was the sponsor, and. Uh, and based out of Colorado, so that was obviously tricky as well because they were away from from everything going on in in uh, in Mooresville and and in Charlotte. But they they originally uh, were a Chevy team with Hendrick, and they bought all of Hendrick's uh, uh, Hendrick Motors. Uh, in fact, no, if if I'm correct, they bought Hendrick chassis, and I think they had Childress Motors, but I might be wrong. I might be they may have had Hendrick uh, Hendrick everything. But they 
they moved. Uh, things kind of moved up a gear for them uh, when they they basically became a Gibbs yes. B team uh, and and were running uh, Toyota with Gibbs. And uh, and it's all started to click into place. And the year before, they won the championship last year. The year before, it became very apparent that Martin Truex was finally fulfilling the uh, potential. Potential, uh, which goes back to him winning two consecutive Bush series, yeah. as they were. That's how long ago it 04. was. Mm. Yeah, in 04 and 05. But it took to last year for him to... Uh, so it all clicked into place and they so won a Dex, and- So Dex, hang on. You've won the championship. A team and a driver combination and a sponsor combination have won the championship. Let's put aside all of the yes but about Colorado and that. They won the championship. There is money to be won. We've talked in the past when we've been doing our review programs about how much, how much people can earn at the back of the field. So uh, we know it's expensive to go motor racing. It's particularly expensive to go cup racing uh, with the amount of cars that you need to have and the logistics and the travel etc etc but from a championship team to going out of business in 18 months that's extraordinary what i mean well, how well i think it's it's less going out of business and more just finding it more and more difficult to justify the expense of what was fair point a, a business that was to promote Barney Visser's businesses, the whole furniture row. It was, you know, it was a, a, a God, excuse the pun. It was a vehicle to promote his businesses, and and it, it was con- continuing to, to to be successful on the track, but ultimately, it was clearly costing him money, uh, or at least it, it, he was wiping his face because he had uh, people like uh, eventually Bass Pro Shops and 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 uh, Five Hour Energy come in and get involved, and then. As the business model for those brands yes. particularly began to change and marketing opportunities began to, to open themselves up elsewhere that were more uh, more realistic and, and more cost effective, we lost Five Hour Energy as, as a major partner. He lost Bass Pro Shops. Uh, and then suddenly he was back in a situation where he was a, a, a you know, the sort of the, the, the mid-pack owner entrant sponsor and you can't run at the top level without those additional big partners and and once they went the business model didn't make enough sense and he couldn't find partners to replace them because teams in this sport are not able right now to find partners Lowe's is go, is going at the end of the year there is no so way. hang on jimmy johnson's going to be without a sponsor well he's going to be without Lowe's. there's no way that hendrick can replace in this current climate what uh, a sponsor that's going to do what Lowe's did for the past 15 years or more. And it's not just the money. We've talked about this before, Declan, and you and I have talked about this outside of of the forum of Midweek Motorsport. It's about what they can do in activation and a brand like Lowe's, a national brand like Lowe's. It's like having McDonald's. It's not about how much money that they give you. It is to a point. It's not about having the golden arches on the car or the Lowe's names on the car. If it's McDonald's, it's about having your car on every one of those paper things that goes on the trays that gets handed out it's about the weekend promotions it's about featuring in national advertising on television and radio it's those other things those yeah activation things absolutely but that the, adds the, to the, the sport the writing was on the wall a little bit when when uh lowe's sold uh the craftsman yeah uh, craftsman tool brand and 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 the, the point is john 
that big partners who are going to go in and write programs for 36 races mm. are expected to spend an awful lot of money that the sport currently, through its eyeballs at the track and on television, simply can't deliver. So, um, I, I mean, we, we talked a lot about the, the makeup of the postseason for NASCAR, what, a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago uh, on this show. Go back and listen to it. Um, are we talking about something now far more fundamental? Um, oh, yes. Are we talking about a sport that you... needs a complete... I mean, where's the relevance? I, I would say, where's the relevance to the new audience? You know, are we in a situation that sports cars was not so very long ago, certainly within my lifetime? So I'd say, where's the new audience? Where's the new audience? Yeah. Is is NASCAR's audience dying off? Is it just not being replaced at the bottom index? It is, but 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 it's also, I'll get to that in a second, but before I get to that, just to finish off on another thing, sponsors also, and I've had this said to me by a stock car sponsor, a, a long-term stock car sponsor said this to me in a discussion about sponsorship uh, regarding sports cars. There's only so many times I can take clients to watch cars go round in circles at Charlotte. Wow. It's hard to argue with that as well. Yeah. So just so so here's the thing then, Declan. Let's finish this on a on a positive note. Um, yep. So Charlotte has now a road course there, and if you watch Mobile One the Grid this week. Uh, the, the latest episode, which uh, check local uh, schedules for details, that we've got a feature on it this week uh, about the, the road circuit, the Roval. Are we talking about something in the short term, at least, that could be as relatively an easy fix as doing something like that? But that, that'll not last forever. We've got to be looking medium and longer term here, surely? Well, personally, uh, I think it's a great idea that they put a road course into the into the, the uh, in the playoffs and it gives somebody who maybe who's a better road course racer a chance of getting a win and then obviously securing a spot in the next round in the round of 12 uh, I think the course is absolutely horrific I'm, <laughs> I'm not a fan I think it reminds me of as I said if anybody's ever been to Lanier Speedway yeah where they've now got a go-kart course and it's it, just it's just yeah. it's just it's I do not and it's a classic case of of uh, of the promoters, what, Bruton Smith deciding, oh, well, you know, I, I want to... I'll do something we different. Wanna, you're going to do it. You're going to do it at my venue. You're not going to another, you know, another actual road course to do it. That would make sense. We're going to build it. And it's this is going to have so many yellows. This is, I, I just, I think this is going to be really, really just like watching a bad evening's corporate karting, mm. which I've described before. Uh, I will say, by the way... Uh, just one thing about the race. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Harvick spent all season building up, uh, get win after win, and getting this 50-point yes. bonus. It effectively all went away because, as he described them, piece of crap tires from from Goodyear. He didn't even yeah. name the manufacturer, but Goodyear have a lot to answer for. There were so many tire failures, and oh, I don't really? know if that's because they chose to race in the heat of the day in Las Vegas. Yeah. If it's what, but, but there were, it, and that was one of the reasons the race was an absolute crash fest. Won by, as you said, Keselowski, which which uh, we can't move away from that without without saying, you know, uh, massive hats off to uh, to Roger Penske and his organization. Uh, the 1966 24 Hours of Daytona, yeah, their first ever race, which they won, yeah, and and, uh, and 52 years later. Uh, they win their 500th, which is 500 absolute... race wins for the organisation. 
it's not so long that we were talking about um, uh, Chip Ganassi winning their 300th, I think, at the Rolex this year. Yeah. When the Fords won. And I thought that was a big number then. 500. Put it this way. The, the, the Penske cleaning lady has just got on strike based on the number of trophies she now has to win. <laughs> Dex, we'll leave it there for the moment. Keep your eyes on that. Where's the uh, the next round of the... Rich- uh, sorry? Richmond. Oh, yes, Richmond. Okay, yeah. I'll try and watch and then, that. And then we go on to uh, the, the, the bad uh, uh, evenings go-karting uh, at, uh, <laughs> at Charlotte. Okay, mate. Listen, great stuff. Um, we Well, I think we need to have put aside some extra time in the next few weeks um, to start talking about where does that form of racing go next to keep it relevant to get an audience Declan Brennan drive, uh, joining us live from the United States on midweek motorsport thank you very much uh, indeed to Dex it is a uh, series 13 episode number uh, uh, number what did I 36. say 36 thank you <laughs> and we're going to stay in the United States now and uh, talk about America's other uh, great motorsport export uh, and that is Jeremy Shaw no it's it's IMSA uh, it's uh, not, I'll get it right in a moment IndyCar uh, uh, and let's see if we can get uh, uh, Jeremy up now and hello Jeremy Shaw can you hear us oh no he can't I'll tell you what let's see if we can uh... Tim just bear with me for a moment uh, something not quite right there. So we've got a little bit of uh, time left in the show. It was the finale, of course, at Sonoma at the weekend. And uh, my first question to Jeremy is, was he there? Because he was talking about uh, going, hello, Mr. Shaw. Aha, there we are. That's my fault, I think, uh, the, the machinery not playing with us. Um, my first question to you is, did you get to Sonoma at the weekend? No. Oh. Got vetoed. Oh, really? <laughs> I well, see. Oh, yeah. I was watching on TV, however. Uh, except you didn't see the start of it, of course. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, we did in the UK, bizarrely. Did uh, you really? Yes, we did, because uh, the NASCAR and the IndyCar <laughs> are on different channels. So the international feed was there. It just didn't have any American commentary on it. Um, that came in uh, a bit a bit later so you- on. So you missed the end of the previous race, but you got you saw the beginning of this one. Correct. I, I don't have the channel that has the NASCAR uh, on it, but I but I, I sat up and watched it, and I did have my Garrett uh, Chicago popcorn and a little adult beverage, and I sat there, and I was very excited. And right from the very start, of course, there was drama. Um, you know, practicing qualifying. Oh, and we've just lost Jeremy there. He's dropped out. Let's try him again. The Americans, of course, won't have seen uh, the title being decided then. Well, they did, but only in replay. Um, and that was, that was the point I was going to get to with Jeremy. Are you back with us, Jeremy? Hello, Jeremy Shaw. Hello. Yes, can you? Oh, yes, there you are. Um, uh, Dixie did what he needed to do in qualifying. Um, it has to be said that the determining factor of the weekend, the dominating factor of the uh, weekend was the man who won the race, Ryan Hunter Rear. But the championship was virtually decided before we got the turn two. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Um, uh, not quite sure what uh, 
what, what Alexander Rossi was thinking, quite honestly, because uh, it didn't look to me like Marco, Marco Andretti did anything wrong. And, no. Uh, thank you. Just I don't know, just don't know what he was thinking. Just yeah, what are the, what are those things? But uh, it was. He's uh, been making these. Uh, he's been uh, Rossi's been making these extraordinary moves all season, and they've been coming off. Does this just show that you you know you your championship hopes live and die by those snap? instant decisions that racing drivers have to make and when they come off we load them and say what a fantastic outside maneuver that was by rossi my goodness wasn't he brilliant on the brakes there when they don't you literally go from hero to zero yeah the kind of law of averages isn't it i mean you you can you can pull off those so many those things so many times and then and then it's just not going to go your way and uh, unfortunately this one didn't but uh, it was hard really to see how it put, could have come off mm. because he had a car alongside him on his left hand side uh, going going you know before you start rising up the hill and uh, i don't know it was, it was um he, i mean you look at some of his passes particularly those ones in indianapolis which which oh. were the, you know, the most kind of famous ones this year and there's a there's a complete and utter total trust in the fact the other guys are going to get out, get out of your way yes uh, and if you kind of contrast that to formula one and the incident that happened there at the weekend it's kind of interesting isn't it there is um, no contrast they could think it turned one yeah well exactly there was a massive contrast because you know in uh, well, yes, you're right. In that one, there wasn't there wasn't any contrast because the same thing happened. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, uh, it was it was it was a shame shame for Rossi, but uh, it certainly made it. Uh, you know, he, he he, I give him credit, great credit for for the comeback. That he and was the able team, to make Jeremy, the team to, played the yeah. strategy perfectly, and he's got a good man uh, in his ears and on the the pit stand to get him through that. He's got just a bit of experience. Rossi uh, almost got back into, well, got back into the fight, ultimately didn't have the tyres or the, the track position, but got back on the lead lap and got back into the fight. He did. He did. It was a tremendous run. I mean, Rob, Rob Edwards has, has forgotten more about strategies than most uh, most people were ever going to know. So, yeah, they, they, they called it right. He yeah. drove a great race. He made, a lot, he made a bunch of passes again. Um, but unfortunately, yes, he's probably on the wrong tyres for that last stint, perhaps, yeah. or, or at least it didn't seem to work work in his favour like it did some of, for some of the others. Can't take anything away from the race winner. As I say, uh, that was an extraordinary weekend where he didn't put a foot wrong. Feel a bit sorry for Ryan Hunter, to be honest, because he, he, he did everything right and he doesn't get the plaudits perhaps that he deserves because of the fact that Scott Dixon, he did what he needed to do. Who knows if he had any more pace, if he had had to win that race. Could he have? Would he have? Would he have challenged? We don't know that. But he did exactly what he needed to do. Uh, wins his fifth uh, title, uh, a feat that hasn't been done in the last half century. And, I mean, an extraordinary, an extraordinary run for him again this season. And we've talked about it all year, whether it's been with you or with Cher, that the, the consistency of Scott Dixon and the finishing uh, that he's had is just Brilliant, and that's what's won him the title. Yes, it is. Uh, and I mean, for Hunter Ray, the, the amazing thing about that is his last poll was at Long Beach in 2014. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, I couldn't either, to be honest. I hadn't uh, hadn't twigged that until it came up during the show. But uh, he, he he was brilliant. Dixie, yeah. The funny thing about Dixon's season before before uh, Detroit, he hadn't led a single lap. In the first six races of the season, didn't lead a single lap, uh, and even in in all, he only led six races during the season out of the uh, out of the seventeen. Um, so it wasn't it certainly wasn't a great season anyway for Dixon, 
except for the fact it was a great season because he, he just he maximized everything he optimized Correct. everything uh, and and he he, he took you when he had some luck on his side particularly Portland, of course, he took full advantage of it. And that is what's going to win you a championship and not make any crucial mistakes. We've talked about Scott Dixon and his association with Chip Ganassi for the last almost two decades. What is it now? 18 seasons. I mean, that's, first of all, in any part of motorsport, that kind of loyalty on both sides is, is something that's unusual. And what a partnership that, that whole team has forged when you look back at how little turnover there's been uh, in in that squad that looks after Scott and that car. That's extraordinary in, in, in any terms, but in motor racing terms, it's almost unheard of. Yeah, it does. It's, it tends to happen perhaps more in the US than it does yeah. uh, some other places perhaps, but it is, it is so important. I mean, the, the rapport he's got with his engineer, with Chris Simmons, uh, you know, is is impressive. Michael, of course, is a is a rock of that of that team, the managing director, and you know, Chip just makes sure he gets the right people to do the right jobs, and and ditto Michael. And as a result of that, everybody's happy there. That the vibe around the team is is really good. Whenever you're walking through their through their paddock area, or you know, last couple of weekends I've been uh, had to go into the trucks for, for various reasons, and you look around, everybody's smiling. Everybody is. They, they know what it takes to get the job done and then they just go and execute. Uh, I think, and, and, having, and yeah. having Dario there as well, oh. you know, is, is a big part of that success because you know, he's been there, done that uh, as much as Dixie and, and the, the whole team was able to draw on, on Dario Franchitti's expertise and, and level-headedness as well. Um, how did you rate the, the two new boys? Um, uh, Colton Herter... Uh, did his job, actually did a pretty good job. Uh, was rather overshadowed, particularly in in qualifying, as um, I was going to say, as he has been all season. That's not fair, actually. But his his rival and the, the championship winner in Indy Lights, Pato, uh, Patricio Award, extraordinary qualifying performance by him to get him up into the fast six and qualifying fifth position. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Colton did a, did a respectable job for his first IndyCar weekend, no question about it. Agreed. But, but, Patricio was he was sensational. I mean, he, he absolutely he, he he hadn't he did a test there last week and he didn't do the test on Thursday. He did a test there last week. That was his first time in uh, in an IndyCar certainly on that track, and it, it was amazing what he was able to do. I mean, he, he took the took the bull by the horns. I mean, he's he's riding the crest of, of of a wave of confidence right now. It's been apparent the last half of the season um, because. If you think back to last year, it looked after the first half of the season, he had the, the Pro Mazda Championship pretty much wrapped up. Um, and he ended up losing a couple of years ago now, wasn't it? He, he ended up losing it uh, two years ago. That was he ended up losing it. But but he drew on that experience this year. And even though he started off the, ra- the, the season fantastically well with three out of the first four races he won and it should have been four you know he made a mistake in race two at st petersburg had a spin it went down it took, took the escape road stalled the engine uh, and and restarted the back so finished down down the field but he used that miss that one mistake and, and he, he he i don't think he met arguably he didn't make another one for the whole rest of the year yeah so he drew on his previous experience it was brilliant and uh, and he, his performance at sonoma was just sensational um and that has led on to our, uh, the, the other big story that's come through. Both of those young men 
will be full-time entrants and drivers in the IndyCar paddock for 2019. At the press conference earlier today uh, at Yankee Stadium, and this will become important when I tell you why, uh, George Michael Steinbrenner IV, the 22-year-old son of the New York Ang- uh, Yankees part owner and co-chairman Hank Steinbrenner, uh, will be running with Mike Harding and Michael Andretti, a brand new team, Harding, Steinbrenner Racing, Pato Award, Colton Herter, in the championship. This is an extraordinary story. Yes, yeah, brilliant, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I know Brian Barnard is the uh, he's the president there of Harding Racing. He 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 runs the team day to day for Mike Harding, who's a businessman in Indianapolis, paving contract, amongst other things. Um, uh, and you know, Brian, I, I sat down with Brian well a couple of months ago, and he was telling me about his his plans and what he wanted to do and what he and Mike wanted to do, I should say. And it's all come together. Uh, and it, he, the, the team has been really energized over the last few races. You know, they gave uh, they gave a couple of different. They put Connor Daly in the car for a few races, uh, uh, but this weekend, you know, they had more, much more engineering strength to draw on with the, with the two youngsters coming into the team and they were able to to pull off a remarkable remarkable performance and, and let's not underestimate also the the uh, the 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 uh, Alancer junior is the uh, is a, is a consultant for the team right and his experience is, is big there as well I think that was a big help at the weekend uh, how important for IndyCar generally is it? that two young lads who've come up through the ladder system, um, what we are still calling the Mazda Road to Indy, Indy with Cooper Tyres, and Mazda now backing away from that, but these two guys will be seen as the the, 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 the last two guys from that. How important for IndyCar is that, they, that they've had this opportunity and also that if a family name like Steinbrenner, a sports franchise like the New York Yankees, and the, the kind of support that that might garner, does that does that give, if you will, um, some resonance to IndyCar and give them some gravitas? Huge. I think it's absolutely huge news. Not so much that the two youngsters are making a step, although that is important, certainly, to the whole ladder system. And particularly, I think, with the changes that IndyCar have already announced in the fact they're going to try and put more emphasis behind Indy lights and stop the, the, sort of the situation where we've had the last couple of years where, where youngsters, particularly from Europe, have kind of bypassed Indy lights and yeah. gone straight to IndyCar. I don't think that that's, you know, IndyCar has already said that, that they're not, we don't, that's not what we want. We want people to come through Indy Lights. And for, quite frankly, for drivers, it makes a heck of a lot more sense to go through Indy Lights. Agreed. The, 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 whole, the races are so run so differently over here. The rules are so different to what people are used to in Europe. Driving a race car, yes, it's important, but there's so much more to getting ultimate success than just driving the racing car. And that's what the kids are doing for Indy Lights. But for, for Steinbrenner, yeah, that's absolutely huge. Plus the fact, of course, you know, it's an Another new team coming in. Last yeah. year, you know, there was Carlin came in. Uh, Harding stepped up to a full-time program. And there was there was doubts about Harding racing halfway through this season. There were certainly some major question marks. So for have, to have this team not only be properly cemented, but come in with the Steinbrenner name as well, massive. So big, there's been some big announcements for IndyCar recently. And, and this is right up there. Um, obviously, with Patricio Award, um, doesn't sound like it, but he's Mexican. Is that important as well? For IndyCar? Yeah, yes, I think it is because there's always been a good following. Whenever 
your kart champ I used to go to Mexico City the event was massive down there particularly because mainly because of, of Adrian Fernandez who yeah. was a megastar down there uh, and yeah it, it was it was a great event but even when when Adrian wasn't part of it, you know, motor racing is popular in Mexico. There's a lot of Mexican race fans. They have a passion for the sport down there. Uh, uh, Patricio, you know, not many people know him yet, but you know, he, he's um, he's already this year been doing some various media events in particularly his hometown of Monterey and also in Mexico City as well. So you know, they're going to be hearing a lot more about Patricio Ward in the uh, in the months to come. Uh, and what's your thoughts, Jeremy, on IndyCar going to the circuit of the Americas and racing on the full Grand Prix configuration? Brave or impressively confident? Yeah, sensible uh, to me. I, I can't see the point in doing the, doing the short circuit there. I think you know, the long straight uh, will particularly play into the favours of, uh, of, I think, of the IndyCar field and make passing a bit more easy. If they just use a short circuit like the... Uh, the supercars did a few years ago. I don't think that would really work for the Indy cars, quite frankly. It's at least not nearly as well as it will the full course. And, you know, the people in the know in a sport, they're not interested in making comparisons with Formula One. Formula One's a different thing altogether. Um, you know, it's unavoidable, Lord so, Jeremy, isn't it? It will yeah, happen. But I, I don't, yeah, but who cares? I don't think anybody in the <laughs> sport really cares. Um, quite frankly, I, I think it's you know it's it's a fun thing for people to talk about, but not much more than that. And uh, so no, I don't see any downsides in, in using the full circuit. Jeremy, thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed your musings on IndyCar for the second half uh, of the season. I'll see you in a couple of weeks in uh, Atlanta for Petit Le Bon, Motul Petit Le Bon. That's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that one, Jeremy. Come and uh, uh, come on the program that Wednesday beforehand, and we'll have a bit of a preview. Super. Sounds great. Thank you. Jeremy Shaw joining us live from California. That's almost it for this evening. What uh, We've packed in a lot tonight, and sorry about the slight technical problem that meant we uh, had to cut Declan a wee bit short because we uh, we missed his slot, uh, as it were. I think he made an impression with what he said in those five minutes. I, I think he was outstanding. <laughs> I have a vision of that, of that prostrate and damaged Metro, and they'll live with me in hilarity for a long time. Um, just before there has we... been a lot of talk about Metros on Twitter since uh, we did... Uh, of the century. Uh, I'm going to ask you some questions. Nick and Tim, what do these uh, drivers have in common? Dennis Ars, Jürgen Barth, Derek Bell, Dickie Atwood, Kevin Buckler, David Donoghue, Chris Dyson, Rob Dyson, Vic Elford, Norbert Singer, Vern Schuppan, Chip Robinson, Bobby Rahal, David Piper, Pat Long, uh, Jeff Svard, Jimmy Bruni. What do they have in common? Well, You've interviewed all of them. Mm. Yes, probably. My belief, because you mentioned a couple of people in there which I don't know associated with anything else, it's something to do with Porsche. I've no idea what. You are absolutely correct. They're all Porsche drivers. Well done. The rest I couldn't tell you because they're just super duper variable guys, aren't they? Ren Sport Reunion 6 is not this weekend, but next weekend. And all of those drivers and about two dozen more are going to be there along with seminal cars from the track 12 current factory drivers uh, will be there um the cars well extraordinary um timo bernhard uh recently took the 919 hybrid evo uh, to a 5.1955 on the nurburgring nordschleife the car will be there i think timo's there uh, as well uh, kevin ester is going to be there the 2008 porsche rs spider a 1984 953 the 953 Group B rally car, the 1960 718 RS Spider, and a tractor race. 
What more could you wish for? Highlight, to be honest. Well, the tractor race. You can't beat a tractor race. You can't beat a tractor race. And I will be there with some exclusive reports from Laguna Seca. That's not this uh, weekend, but next weekend. And we'll have some stuff during the week as well. With any luck, I'll be talking to you from there next Wednesday. And then the week after that, uh, it's a road trip, a Porsche-themed road trip, uh, all the way to Petite and the Mutul Petite Le Mans Road. Atlanta, which I can't wait for. At the weekend, reminder, it's ELMS on RS1 and uh, Michelin Cup as well. And the 58th running of the ADAC... Which one is it? 58th. Which one? The ADAC (laughs) Reinoldisch-Langstreckenrennen. Very good. At the weekend. That's VLN7, uh, Zeeben, to the rest of you. (laughs) My thanks to all of our guests tonight, uh, particularly to uh, Nick Damon, who managed to stay awake after eating all of the crumble. Yes, but that's not fair. There was no proficient role into the crumble. I had second, but I left you enough for two days of restance. Okay, that seems reasonable. Uh, my thanks to Tim Grau, executive producer, back in the UK. Same time next week. It will be midweek motorsport, but there's no time to explain. The Llama is getting Rensport excited already. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.